0: Welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. My name is David Chen, and I say, let the limericks flow. <laughs> joining me today is Devendra Hardwar.
1: Uh, I think we're all going to be doing that. I, w- I was thinking, let the cast flow,
0: everybody. Mm. And joining me today is also Jeff Kanata. You may call me Jeff
2: Mwadib. <laughs>
0: Those are, of co- course, all in reference to the fact that our main review today is going to be for the new Denis Villeneuve movie, Dune, uh, for which we will be joined by Siddhant Adlaka. So very excited to talk with him about Dune, very much looking forward to, uh, have been very much looking forward to this movie for a long time. So uh, it's a great conversation. And I can tell you that because we already recorded it last week and made it available early exclusively to patrons over at patreon.com slash film podcast so oh yeah if you're a patron patreon.com slash film podcast you got that dune review early already on opening day and our Uh, thanks yes and our thanks and eternal gratitude so always (laughs) Uh, in addition to that, uh, we are also going to be diving into what we've been watching this week. we got some weekly plugs for you. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. But before any of that, we do need to talk about uh, something very unfortunate and tragic that happened this week. And that is the death of Helena Hutchins, a cinematographer who is working on an indie film called Rust. Uh, which was directed by Joel Souza. I'm going to read from an LA Times article about this issue, uh, entitled "Search Warrant Reveals Grim Details of Russ Shooting and Helena Hutchins' Final Minutes." Uh, this is written by Wendy Lee on staff at LA Times. She writes, quote, actor Alec Baldwin was practicing removing a revolver from its holster and aiming toward the camera during rehearsal for the movie Rust when director, director Joel Souza heard what sounded like a whip and then a loud pop, according to a search warrant obtained by the LA Times on Sunday night that also provided grim new details about the final minutes of cinematographer Helena Hutchins's life. In the newly released document, Sousa said the weapon had been described to him as a cold gun, meaning it did not have any live rounds, but the gun discharged, striking Hutchins in her chest and Sousa in his right shoulder, according to a Santa Fe County, New Mexico sheriff's detective's affidavit used to obtain a search warrant. Hutchins was pronounced dead at an Albuquerque hospital. Sousa's statement to the detective offered a new window into the onset shooting Thursday that left Hollywood reeling and calling for safer working conditions on sets. The shooting took place after six members of the crew of the film's crew walked off the set after complaining to the production company about payment and housing, camera operator Reed Russell told Detective Joel Kano. Russell's and Sousa's statements to the detective offered the most detailed chronology yet of how the tragedy unfolded, end quote. Anyway, the article then goes on into kind of a minute-by-minute detail of what occurred that day. Over the course of the last week, week there's been a lot of talk about Uh, This has basically become like an international news story. There's been a lot of talk about Mm -hmm. onset safety, whether or not it is necessary to use uh, real guns or live rounds on set. The answer apparently is definitely not. Especially uh,
1: today, when like visual effects are still added on top of everything, right? Even if they're using real guns, they add, you know, uh, a blast
0: color or something, and extra sounds. Like they, right, there is and so if you're using, if top. you're filming yeah. at twenty four frames per second, you might not even exactly uh, catch the muzzle flash. You might need to add it into post. The, mm-hmm. the 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 quote unquote benefit of using a uh, a blank in a gun is for acting purposes. Basically, yeah. like it makes a loud sound, people <laughs> genuinely react to it versimilitude but, you yeah know, versimilitude. it feels but like is you're it holding it worth something? the risk yeah. and i think the the consensus seems to be no but th- let's also say like mm-hmm. beyond just whether or not you should be using blanks in in actual guns on sets um What happened here seemed to be a systemic failure of the entire system, right? It's horrible. Yeah. uh, Safety protocols ignored and people raising the red flag to say like, hey, we are on a dangerous set, like misfires have occurred, Mm -hmm. Uh, that being ignored, people pressing forward. It's all part of a culture of filmmaking that prizes speed and production above the safety and the lives of its members. And this is the logical and tragic end result of it, and it and is we, extremely unfortunate and unnecessary that something like this happened. Anyway, Jeff, go we, ahead. We're yep. about
2: to have a uh, a, a strike over yep. not you know not gun safety issues, but general uh, set uh, worker safety issues, and 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 overwork and underpay and hours that are uh that are extreme and lead to lapses in judgment of all kinds not just safety but safety is prime among them i mean this is literally what the iatsi potential strike was all about and and it's it's sad to see it um evidence of it in stark uh relief mm-hmm. yeah. here it's 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 yeah shocking
1: it's I, also weird because it's an issue i remember guys i, I maybe the day that brandon lee was killed in 1993 right like that was as somebody who was a fan of bruce lee and want like was following his son's career you know wanted him to have an illustrious career and whatnot that kind of hit me as a young movie fan too and it's the same stuff over and over it is sad
0: it's extremely sad that decades later a tragedy like this an extremely preventable tragedy like this absolutely was allowed to occur again basically
2: right i was eight years old in 1984 Mm -hmm. and my favorite one of my favorite television shows that my dad and i watched together was a show called voyagers it was a time travel show where the main character was this guy had the still to this day i think the best (laughs) fictional character name of all time i remember the show yeah phineas bog what a fucking awesome name phineas bog the (laughs) actor who played phineas bog was named john eric hexam and john eric hexam uh, was on set on a different TV show uh, that had a gun and uh, there was only one blank in the chamber and he was kind of bored between takes and he spun it around and he said, let's see what this does. And he put it to his temple and he pulled the trigger Oof. and that ended his life thinking it was just a blank, thinking it was, there was no danger in a blank and and only one round in the mm-hmm. chamber. So literally he played Russian roulette and lost thinking that even if he lost it wouldn't be a big deal mm-hmm. so that made a huge impression on me as an eight-year-old I remember my father telling me about my favorite TV show and mm-hmm. Phineas bogg this actor my my dad used to tell me bedtime stories using Phineas bogg as the main character because I thought mm-hmm. it was so cool um so like that shook me as an eight-year-old and yeah. then of course Brandon Lee of co- you know as you guys mentioned we all remember Brandon Lee so it's 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 kind of I mean, this is a horrible thing to say, but it's almost surprising these things don't happen more often with for the number sure, of, sure. of of productions and the amount of of things yeah. like this. And that's a testament to conscientious people and professionals uh, at work. But it is,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I think, it's always shocking when mm-hmm. this you hear about these things happening. But you know, there's a, a meme going around now of of Will Smith like disarming a guy who was kind of playing around with guns on a set of one of his movies and being like, "Dude." Gun safety, you know, it's yeah, yeah. uh, People think they're toys, and and I, I think it's endemic of an entire, you know, American Mm -hmm. culture around guns that we don't need to get into now, but one I object to very strongly.
1: It's also it's a weird thing because it's we go to movies right for the escape, and I think gun play, gun action, action in general, right, is a thing. Westerns have been around for like forever almost from the beginning of movies right and that that's what we go to the movies for to see the stuff which you'll never see in everyday life but it is cool it's exciting it's like reading a little pulp novel or something right and it's just like bringing that to life um has its dangers uh one thing i want to bring up by the way is like when these things happen um and these things can be horrific like i'm thinking of the twilight zone accident you know Mm. which uh john landis was behind if you guys don't know that full story, uh, Shudder has a series called Cursed Films, and it goes fully into what happened with the Twilight Zone thing, including talking with people who were involved with that and people who still feel to this day responsible for, um, you know, it was a helicopter accident that killed uh, actor Vic Morrow and two children. And that entirely happened because they were filming late. They were being unsafe. Like, everything was wrong. And what happened to John Landis? He had an, like He had a great career. He was fine after that. Like he, he had to, I think he was in director jail for a little bit, but then he got
0: out and he's doing his thing. And Yeah, and as far as I understand, the people yeah. that spoke out against him were the ones that were punished. Absolutely, you know? yeah. yeah. So it is unfortunate that, you know, uh, Jeff, you and I have been to uh, a bunch of film sets before and I think there is this kind of, in the past, and I think that's been changing now in the post-pandemic mm-hmm. era, but in the past, there is a culture of get the job done, right? Like no matter what it takes, no matter what cost on people's bodies, get the job done. Um, At least that's kind of been my understanding, my sense from having seen it in real life. Like, uh, and people are, I'm not saying like it's a, um, it's a toxic environment from a, from a cultural perspective. Like everyone is there to do a really good job. Everyone's like amiable and they, they know that they're, you know, doing a cool job that like a lot of people would want to do. But, they often work, you know, sixteen-hour days or longer. They're often working well into the night. They often need to drive home afterwards. And as you mentioned, Jeff, like part of this IATSE uh, strike thing was like a, a, an effort to ensure that people would be in better and safer conditions while they're making the art that all of us enjoy. So uh, I, I do think that there was already a reckoning in the post-pandemic era of like how we treat people on set. And my guess is that will be accelerated because of this, because again, something like this should never should have been allowed to happen.
2: Yeah. Um, to me, the, the really curious part is that, is the folks that like quit, um, on the production. I, I think there's a mm-hmm. lot more of that to be told and what was going on there. It, it, it's, it's a disturbing facet of it because it feels like something that could have been prevented, um, I mean, obviously, it could have been prevented a number of ways, but in in particular, it seems like there were folks that you know were fed up enough that they literally walked off the set. Um, and as somebody that has played <laughs> my fair share of cops and have been issued, you know, sidearms as mm-hmm. part of my costuming, uh, it is uh, it, it 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 has always struck me how uh, you know there there are pe- there is a rigid set of rules on a film set. And mm-hmm. there are people in charge of every part of it, and those lines are never meant to blur. There are people who are in charge of things, and you don't touch a thing unless you're part of the department that's in charge of that thing. You don't move a, a glass on a table. you don't you know you, there are yeah. things there are people whose job it is to make sure that is where it's supposed to be. And so, um it seems like in this case, that structure broke down and somehow. Uh, and communication was not was not in place to to you know communicate the danger of what was happening and it's just it's just sad it's really sad
0: I agree I think that the death of Helena Hutchins is really tragic. She was a forty two year old cinematographer, a rising star um whose life was cut short tragically in this accident, and that is the first thing that you know was on my mind reading this like this is just a, an extremely sad story about this mm-hmm. like very promising individual um who died in this accident yeah uh the other thing that felt just really weird to me during this entire thing was like it's just unfortunate on top of the tragedy of her death it's just unfortunate that alec baldwin's in at the center of this because I feel like the press have just like descended upon this. Like they, they just it, it, you know, yeah, vultures yeah. seeing prime meat. Basically, Correct. Is, they they have yeah. they have framed this story in the most sensationalistic way possible, right? Which is yeah. that they are Alec Baldwin do. killed someone. It's like, well, he. I, I do not believe Alec Baldwin was culpable for this death. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like he, he, yeah,
2: legally yeah. as an executive producer, he may end up being. Yeah, perhaps
0: because yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you, you know what I'm saying, though, right? Like, yeah, you, no, no, I, I agree. He had no with you. malice and forethought when he pulled the trigger on the gun. It, but it, it just... is
2: two, it is two independent things. Exactly. One is a, a, a you know, a, a gun on a film set discharged and, you know, someone ended up dead. And the other thing being Alec Baldwin was there. Yeah. And the that, the Venn diagram of that is like, you know, media boner. Is, yeah. And mm. it's really, it's really, it's disgusting. Fucking, it's been
0: very uh, yeah. unfortunate to see. Yeah. It's yeah. it's really upsetting to see.
2: So I, anyway, I, I just
1: want to say yeah. I hope this conversation makes people think about the labor involved in everything that you love. Okay, like this this is it. There are a lot of conversations around this in the gaming world right now uh, when it comes to gaming studios. You know, pushing developers to work around the clock and it uh, was it crunch crunch time is the term for people just working working really hard to finish a game, and that has detrimental effects for everybody. But especially for something like this with film we have to think more about our labor costs so yeah well i I want people to be aware
2: yeah davindra you know just last week uh paizo the tabletop uh, gaming company that that is responsible for pathfinder and starfinder um announced uh unionization of their employees uh, which Mm -hmm. is a pretty groundbreaking thing and, and hopefully it will uh lead to video game companies following suit as well
0: all right. Well, I wanted to bring it up because it has been, uh, the topic of conversation. Uh, we all feel very sad about this and it's very unfortunate and we hope that it will lead to the changes that are necessary to make sure something like this never happens again. Already, uh, many shows have said they won't be using, uh, these kinds of rounds on their sets in the future. Like the rookie, I think mm-hmm. the show being like one of the biggest example of this, but so anyway, um, We are hoping that uh, the changes that are necessary will occur to make sure this doesn't (laughs) happen again. Uh, On that note, Devendra Hardwar, you and I watched a movie this week um, that really about
1: guns that made us think about guns that made us think
0: about the situation in a a, like. Honestly, this was very much on my mind when you and I watched the new Joe Carnahan movie, Cop Shop, which is available for rent. The opening frame of the movie is is somebody just playing with the six shooter.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah.
0: So, uh, we watched this Joe Carnahan movie, Cop Shop. It's f- available for rent on video on demand. Uh, Davindra, you are a hardcore Carnahan fan. I am also a big Carnahan fan. Maybe slightly less so than you. Yeah. I, I like him, except for
1: when he's acting shitty. Like, there is a whole thing that happened between <laughs> him and Carlos Aguilar, and uh, yeah, not great. And I, I don't know if Joe Carnahan is a nice guy. And he was really shitty to film critics I like um, for no reason. So I am going to say that up front. He left Twitter because of that. Um, but I do enjoy Joe Carnahan movies and his sense of, like, action and quirky dialogue and characters, right? Like, he he's just making fun stuff, like, fun popcorn movies I enjoy watching, even if they're not, like, uh, you know, A-caliber films or something. What um, did you think of Cop Shop? Yeah. I, uh, I really enjoyed this, but I also couldn't get th- everything happening with Helena Hutchins out of my head, too. Because this is a movie that is so gun focused cuz uh, that's what Carnahan does he 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 loves the gun action uh, smoke and aces is a really fun movie that also ha- you know features a lot of guns and gunplay
0: um there's like six guns on the poster of smoke and aces
1: uh, on yeah. yeah on the poster and certainly here like <laughs> many 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 uh, i thought this movie was a lot of fun but yeah it's just it, it kind of came at the wrong time i couldn't just sit back and enjoy this because i'm like yeah, that's a lot of live rounds, just, uh, <laughs> just apparently yeah. like a lot a lot of like very realistic rounds. And I, that's the thing about his movies. Like he makes um, action scenes seem very realistic. Uh, Smoke and Aces, there's a shootout between like, I think, two skyscrapers or two like very tall casinos. And it is just like wild, wild stuff. And it feels like madness. And he's just good at doing that. And I think he accomplishes that here, too. Well also giving us like a fun script uh, that's twisty and turdy as his stories tend to be. It also brings together, I-, I think just cementing some of the best action heroes of our time. okay? <laughs> you got Gerard Butler, you got Frank Grillo. You got Toby Huss. I love a movie that gives me a lot of Toby Huss. and uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I-, I grew up watching him on Pete and Pete. He, he was known as Artie. The strongest man in the world. He was also um, the voice of Col- Cotton Hill on King of the Hill. So he's been all over, all over the place. Toby
0: Huss is one of those guys that I basically didn't know who he was exactly. before, I, before I watched this movie. You watch him movie guy. and you're like, this guy is incredible. Like, why so isn't good. he in more things? You know, he's he's awesome in this movie. Yeah.
1: And if you enjoy Toby Huss as much as I do, make sure you guys check out Halt and Catch Fire, that awesome AMC show about the beginning of the computer age. Uh, but yeah, to- uh, seeing Toby Huss kind of just go toe-to-toe and quipping and shooting um, you know two legit action stars just brought me a lot of joy so I enjoyed that aspect of this movie and I also think Alexis Louder, who plays the young cop uh, is fantastic like it's like watching uh, somebody it's like watching Bruce Willis be John McClane for the first time it's like I want her to have everything moving forward so I really enjoyed it it's just uh, it's a shame like the the environment we're watching this in now
0: I agree. I think this movie is really enjoyable. It's it's basically Joe Carnahan's version of the Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. It's it's so all these characters are basically trapped in one location, and they need to kind of each of them has their own angle they're playing, and uh, they're all each trying to get out of this situation alive and having accomplished their own ends. Um, and uh, I think it's uh, it's really really good. I agree with you about the the cast is great. Gerard Butler. Uh, patron saint of action movie dads, <laughs> and uh, Alexis Ladder is awesome. She's been in like two movies or whatever. Like yeah, she hasn't been yeah. in that many movies, but uh, or she, she's been in a couple movies. But she she's is in the
1: Tomorrow, War, so, she's in Tomorrow yes. War. She's in yeah. Tomorrow War. She's uh, in Tomorrow
0: War. She's also in Watchmen, uh, and she's been in a few other things. But um, she is awesome in this. Mm-hmm. Movie. It's like if it she feels like you're watching a star being born. Yeah. When you watch her in a movie like Cop Shop. And again, she's been in a, a ton of other T V things, but uh not too many not too many films. And so I, I thought Cop Shop was hugely enjoyable. Again, as you I echo all the stuff you said about it kind of coming in the midst of this uh or us deciding to watch it in the midst of this really unfortunate story that's taking place in Hollywood right now, but um Insofar so far as I could enjoy a Joe Carnahan movie, I think yeah. this one uh, is highly enjoyable and and delivers a lot of the stuff that you're looking for when you watch one of these films. So, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it, uh, it, it's not it's better than uh, remember Stretch. We all reviewed yeah. Stretch. Actually, we reviewed think, Stretch, and that
0: was much less enjoyable than this. It's not good. It was seven, was his, like, seven years ago,
1: seven years but, ago, it was his low budget thing. I think after a couple projects fell apart for him, like this guy was going to direct Bad Boys three. This guy was going to direct Mission Impossible 3. Like, there's so many things he could have done, and uh, for whatever reason, yeah, just never worked out. I, I'm bummed that Cop Shop
0: isn't getting more attention. I mean, yeah, this movie, yeah. I think, came out in theaters a couple weeks ago, and I don't hear anyone talking about it, except, like, you know, f- film critics who whose job it is to know about these things. I thought Cop Shop was really good, and uh, I would... Uh, definitely consider renting it. It costs twenty dollars to rent. You know, wait a couple weeks. You can probably buy it for like ten, fifteen. Yeah, it'll but probably get I, cheaper
1: really quick. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think it's. I think it's definitely worth checking out if you're into Joe and his past movies. Like, if you liked mm-hmm. Smoking Aces or if you liked Narc, I think this is a movie you'll enjoy. So,
1: yeah. Uh, this this movie will blow up once it hits
0: Netflix or something. Like this has like yeah, perfect I think streaming right. appeal. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. That is what Divinder Hardware has been watching this week.
2: This episode of The Filmcast is brought to you by MUBI, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every single day, MUBI premieres a new film. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. And with MUBI, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. In fact, if you're into Shocktober right now and you want some scary thrills, man, you can marry scary thrills with actual incredible films, curated films. By going to MUBI right now, there's an incredible flick or treat Halloween horror section with, uh, of course, it's got George A. Romero's original Night of the Living Dead from 1968 it's got all kinds of really eclectic, interesting horror films, including Fear X from Nicholas Winding Refn, a Denmark film from 2003. Man, so many incredible films. Orgy of the Dead. Yeah, you got to see that. It, it, these are curated. These are incredible films. You probably never heard of many of them, but you should check them out. And you can try Mubi for free for 30 days at movie.com slash Filmcast. That's M U B I dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T for a whole month of great cinema for free.
0: Jeff Canada, uh, what have you been watching this week?
2: Well, I had a chance to check out the first two episodes of DopeSick, which is uh a new I think limited series mm-hmm. uh starring it's oh, got an incredible cast. Uh it's uh, I Clicked it because if I see Michael Keaton's face, I yeah. watch it. That's and then you see
1: Michael Keaton plus Danny Strong. You're like, yes,
2: it must be Peter Sarsgaard, Michael Stuhlbarg. Like, I'm watching this. Uh, you know, it's it, Rosario Dawson. Uh, I, I'm watching the show. Uh, these these pe- these people in the thing make me want to watch a thing. Uh, so I watched the thing. Um, first two episodes of it. This is a show about the opioid crisis. Uh, and it is a an ambitious show in that it it is trying to sort of tackle all sides of the opioid cor- crisis and and very much about um oxycontin the history of oxycontin the the uh, the sort of um the fallout of it becoming this ubiquitous drug and especially how it how hard it hit um sort of uh, rural mining community one in particular rural mining community uh, the the show spends a lot of time just kind of seeing how it permeates that community, um, and you know ruins people's lives. Frankly, um, so this this is certainly a series that is not impartial when it comes to uh, its opinion on these things. In fact, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of scenes showing you know the the big pharma, uh, Purdue Pharma in in particular, the creators of OxyContin. Uh, the the sort of behind the scenes of of their machinations of bringing it to market etc and it is cartoonishly evil yeah,
1: now because they were cartoonishly I was just going to say not, <laughs> yeah. necessarily <inaccurate>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. not necessarily inaccurate not necessarily inaccurate
2: but uh but it's you like know some
1: Mr Burns type shit like let's <laughs> let's create this thing to get them hooked and uh, we'll t- we'll tell them they they can't get addicted well Wah. dude
2: M- Michael Stuhlbarg is playing Mr. Burns. Yes. I mean he is yeah. he is he is twisting his mustache, and I mean it is evil. Like there's no, you know, in any other sh- in any other context, I'd be like, that's just way over the line show. That's way <laughs> over the shot line. But it it, it also kind of rings a little true here, you know. But mm-hmm. it is, I mean, it is cartoonish evil. Um, I mean, it is literally like old people in a room going what do they, th- what do we do? You know, it, it, it is, it's, uh, you know, th- it may as well have the justice league fighting them because they are, right, they right. are the, you know, you know how in comic books, the bad guys call themselves the like brigade of evil, you know, the brotherhood of evil mutants or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, these guys may as well be, you know, advertising their foulness, uh, that, that strongly. So it's
1: foul pharma. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: it is, uh, you know, in that sense, it it is not subtle. It is not uh, not um, what's the word I'm looking for? Nuanced. Nuanced. Thank you. Uh, it, it, but also kind of interesting, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if if I haven't really done much research into the accuracy of all this, if it, it really is, um, yeah. you know, presenting a factual account, because it it leaps around in time to the point where the the show actually employs a um a device numerous times where it literally will like have the date of the scene you are in and then (laughs) shift that date like somebody like rolled a rolodex or something shifts it to the next scene so you know in relation to what the scene you just watched what date we're now going to whether it's backwards or forwards you know we shift Mm -hmm. between the early 90s and the mid 2000s and you know we're bopping all around the place uh and they you know it's it's so intense that they literally have to have a visual aid for you to, to get it. Uh, so it's trying, I think, to present this, this timeline of events of how OxyContin became, and and it is truly appalling the, the series of events, you know, the FDA, uh, the, the, literally the lies and the, uh, marketing, the, the real salesmanship that was employed to convince people that this highly addictive drug was not Uh, that was the entire uh, goal was to, uh, present something that was very addictive. That is an opioid to doctors as the first ever non-addictive opioid, um, to get people get doctors to prescribe it. And the FDA, uh, was complicit and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, used a label they had never used before saying it was less addictive than other opioids. And so, I mean, all of the, all of the sort of sure. information that is that is conveyed is interesting uh and the show is is well made and well acted but it is um mm-hmm. you know it, it, it feels like they're using a cudgel rather yeah. than a scalpel here
1: that trailer felt uh, i watched the trailer for this i'm intrigued by everybody involved in this but it also looks like you, it almost felt like they were trying to turn the story into an action movie and it's also like this is an ongoing story and it's yeah. infuriating And people should be in prison. Like, just thinking about the injustice here. And by the way, guess what? Uh, You guys remember what happened in September, right? The Sacklers won immunity from opioid lawsuits. So it's like, yeah, the supervillains just win. They walk away untouched. That's the end of the story. And it's infuriating.
2: Yeah. Uh, And I don't know if this is going to move the needle in any (laughs) significant way. uh, Unfortunately, Uh, I think, you know, hopefully people will who watch it will have their eyes opened if they, if they weren't already mm-hmm. to the, to the devastating effects of, of this over the counter. I mean, not over the counter. It was prescribed, but you know what I mean? This uh, commercialized easily drug. available easily yeah, yeah. 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 commercialized. Yeah. Um,
1: it's, it's destroyed communities everywhere too. like Western Massachusetts, where we went to college, Dave, like it has just become a major thing across all there and anywhere, like not even just rural America, but anywhere like outside of big cities, it has just infected everything.
2: Yeah. So it's hard to sort of decouple the reality of what you're watching from, you know, and, 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 you know, grade the, the drama as a drama, uh, because it's, you know, it's not, I don't think it's a particularly excellent drama, but I do think it's an important, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: uh, informational tool perhaps with, would this
1: have been better just being a documentary or something? I
2: think so, but probably yeah. fewer people would watch it, you know?
1: But what if you so, I I keep narrating it?
2: Yeah, there you go. Uh,
0: I think uh, it, it, there already is a documentary about this. There are a this, lot, yeah. There are a bunch. Uh, on, um, on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember what it's called. My wife watched the entire thing. <laughs>
1: yeah, but this um, one's
2: on Hulu, Dave. Yeah, yeah, no. I know so
1: it. So nobody will so ever find se- it, by
2: the way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The show doesn't nope. exist like so many Hulu things, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so D- Dopesick is on Hulu, um, mm-hmm. but the uh, documentary I'm referring to is called The Crime of the Century. Yes, yeah. and it yes. is a two part documentary that was uh, that's out on HBO Max right now.
1: Alex Gibney, my man, like who who is just great with his like angry rage. Like he, I,
0: I totally jive with his feelings. <laughs> yeah. So I, I am curious, Jeff, if like the documentary is kind of a better storytelling experience than this. But mm-hmm. it sounds like I'm curious you, too, but he, but yeah.
2: I mean, I'm the prime example, right? Because I watched this and I. Didn't watch the documentary, <laughs> right. so maybe you know this you're is. you what's uh, wrong with America? I think the I,
1: documentary I mean, is one hour and fifty two minutes long. And you're like eight episode
2: limited series. <laughs> hmm. I, I will refer you to the Michael Keaton line that I said earlier. Yeah, yeah, I will watch yeah. a Michael Keaton joint any day of the week. It's mm-hmm. it's true. He's mm-hmm. it's
1: nice to see him like around oh, regularly. God, now. I love Michael Keaton so much. Love him so much. I need to see the uh, was the the action movie that he's in now.
2: Yeah, yeah. What is that called? Yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I'm I'm intrigued by Dope Sick. I, I watched the first two episodes. Uh, my wife and I both watched it, and and we were both into it. Um, you know, just sort of like appalled. But you know, I don't I don't know if it's a great show, but mm-hmm. it certainly is uh, one where you you get a lot of information about that is very pertinent in the world right now. <laughs>
0: I, I appreciate what you're trying to do, Jeff, but I'm also like, I'm not sure that's a, star, a Sterling <laughs> recommendation there. i like, I don't know if it's great, but it, it does feel a lot like eating your vegetables. Well, <laughs> it's
2: it's. I mean, I think the documentary is Eating Your Vegetables. This mm-hmm. is Eating Your Vegetables in a Time Release Capsule.
0: With a with a, with a uh, patina of Michael Keaton on
2: it. Yeah, there. exactly.
0: Um, uh, all right, it's... so that's Dope Sick. It's available on Hulu right now. Jeff, you been watching anything else on Hulu?
2: Well, yes, guys. I come to you once again. <laughs> to speak the praises of only yeah. murders in the building and you kept saying i think uh talk to me when it you know talk uh-huh, to me when uh-huh. it's over and this is this is a mystery right the only murders in the in the building is a show about people making a podcast about solving a mystery so as much as i enjoyed each episode i kept wondering are they going to stick the landing are they going to stick the landing it all comes down to that finale a satisfying murder mystery comes down to the who actually done it, how do we find out, and what 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 does it mean? You know, you got was it more or
0: less satisfying than the season one finale of Serial, for example,
2: (laughs) (laughs) which was highly unsatisfying. Correct. Uh, Yes. Uh, I I'm here to tell you, in my estimation, only murders in the building absolutely sticks the Mm -hmm. landing, and one of the one of the great season finale episodes, I would argue, uh, of any show. In fact. And uh, nothing makes me happier than the news that there is a going to be a season two, um, and it, it, I just the show lives in this wonderful place between comedy, like laugh out loud, really funny stuff, and interesting, smart kind of uh, you know crunchy like actual whodunit, like processing the processing the available data, like wow, okay, well, what does that mean? And the third pillar, which is Kind of this heartfelt, sweet, uh, almost magical realism that the the show dips into at times to present things in a very unique and interesting way. And I can't wait to talk more about it specifically with you guys because I don't want to ruin anything. But I just mm-hmm. think this show is is really one of the one of the stellar uh, finds for twenty twenty one for me. I, it just it's it, great, it absolutely um, satisfied me from start to finish. Like there wasn't a bad episode in my opinion. Yeah.
1: You know, Jeff, I've heard from uh, a lot of trusted film critics that, uh, or TV critics, that this show is pretty good. And based on their, you know, hearty recommendations, I think I'll check it out.
2: Oh, okay, well, I'm glad it hasn't anything to do with what I say. So
0: many reviews, so many.
2: (laughs) (laughs) unanimous praise. Yeah. Uh
0: All right, well, that's only Murders in the Building season one. I am going to check it out. Just haven't gotten around to it yet, but it will happen. Um, It it
1: is nice to see it stick the landing, because that really makes me want to be like, okay, now I can binge it and be happy, at least by the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, Jeff, should we talk in some detail about something you and I watched this week, which is the season premiere of Curb Your Enthusiasm.
2: (laughs) Well, I know why you want to talk about it. Uh, (laughs) We can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... All
0: right. So we're going to talk in some detail about what I I don't, uh, you know, it it is possible to spoil Curb Your Enthusiasm episodes, so we're going to spoil Curb Your Enthusiasm season 11, episode one.
2: Season 11? Yes. My goodness. And he he like took five years off in the middle there somewhere, right?
0: (laughs) That's correct. That's correct. So I was not super into, like, I didn't, you know, I, I, I'm a fan of Kirby Enthusiasm. I, was, I didn't dip back into season 10, although probably I should have. I, I probably I, wanted to enjoy some of that MAGA stuff that he did. I watched but,
2: uh, two episodes of season 10 and was like, I guess the show isn't for me anymore.
0: Right. I know. Because and I think you brought up a very good point. I think it was you right talking about it on this podcast about how like do I really want to see like a rich billionaire complain about like small things right now you know <laughs> Yeah right and, Yeah and and watching him therefore further enrich him you know like is that a thing <laughs> I want to do uh, and like his problems just seem very minor compared to what we're all dealing with right now. It was you
2: know? all charming when, we, when, yeah. when, when we didn't, you know, when I wasn't sheltering in my home for fear of yeah. death, you know, it wasn't, it was all charming to see him like get mad about too many pickles on a sandwich, you know, the, the I show got...
1: should just be normal people going up to him and saying, good. It's good that you're
0: annoyed.
2: <laughs> yeah. you, sh- mm. you
1: deserve
0: to have some annoyance in your life. Yeah. But I wanted to see how uh, Larry David would address COVID, because season 11 of Kirby Enthusiasm takes place in a post-COVID world. And I kind of, I mean, you know, uh, uh, George Costanza was always my spirit animal on Seinfeld, well, the character by, I'm most similar way, to.
2: Let me just say, let me just yeah. say, I mean, I think my first w- weird reaction to this episode was that it takes place, as you said, in a post-COVID world, which is not the world I'm living in yet? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So that was already sort of discordant and odd to me.
0: (laughs) Yes, for sure. But I'm I'm like, I want to see Larry David kind of take on this topic and hopefully complain about people who are assholes. You know, that's kind of what I'm interested in. And so I watched the season 11 premiere of Cobra Enthusiasm. And the thing that is incredible about this episode is there is a massive subplot in which Albert Brooks, playing himself, Decides to hold a funeral for himself while he is still alive.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he says. He says, "quote I think this idea is going to catch on."
0: Uh, and and he gives a very like I thought convincing and plausible yeah. explanation of why a word for word, well, word recreation of everything David has said. Here, that's why he you know, thinks you know? it was so
2: <laughs> plausible and convincing. Is because it's fucking his opinion.
0: Uh, you mean Dave Chen's opinion? Yes, I mean, he, so in he's in the car with Larry David, and he's like explaining, you know, I just can't bear the thought of like all people, all these friends and family gathering together, saying all these nice things to a box, yeah. you know, to a person inside of a box. Like, why not do it while the person's still alive? And I was like, first of all, film cast again, proving it has its finger on the pulse, we are of what the upper echelons of entertainment society are thinking about, okay? But uh, also, I felt like uh, you, Jeff, would have been the Larry David in this situation. Definitely. Because of the fact that Larry David not only doesn't respect (laughs) Albert Brooks' idea of having a funeral while he's still alive, (laughs) but actively ridicules and then sabotages
2: (laughs) the funeral that he is invited to. It's it's a delicious... uh... (laughs) uh d- delicious um uh, presentation of our conversation it, it says somebody made a uh <laughs> made a um, What's the word I'm looking for? Dramatization. Dramatization. No, I was looking for like a dumb show. It's like a, it's like Satire a dumb... Satire parody? Yes, of our uh, of our very interaction on this topic. For, mm-hmm. What, uh, mm-hmm. over a year ago now?
0: Yes, yes. Some, I mean, it would not surprise me if somebody on Kirby Enthusiast listens to the film cast and then was like, let's make a Larry David episode about this. In which case, if that is the case, uh, I'm still waiting for my check writer of this episode. I'm still waiting for my check. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Jeff, you saw this episode as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I mean, it was. It, it has the same problems as Curb Your Enthusiasm always had, which is again, you're watching about a billionaire complain about stuff. But I thought between the funeral plotline and the kind of like mildly fun take about COVID hoarding, uh, I, I'm like, okay, that was that was mildly enjoyable. That's how I feel about the. episode. Well, I will
2: tell you, it started the 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 first scene. Is kind of this dark uh I will not spoil it, but it's it's a very dark um more mortality is in play, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, he's really going there we're we're getting some covid talk, and of course that's not at all what it is. I mean, I guess you could kind of use that as a as a light metaphor, but uh, I wished i I was hoping the show would be more directly about it than it was, but um i i'll ha- I have to admit I enjoyed the season one or excuse me season eleven premiere much more than I enjoyed season 10. So mm. I feel like for me, yep. the mojo is back and I'm more inclined to stick with this season and see where it goes than I have been on Kirby enthusiasm in, in, in recent years.
0: Cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll probably check out a couple more episodes and we'll see how it evolves, but and I, I, love, I, just... I love
2: Albert Brooks. Just having Albert, Albert yes. Brooks involved is pretty great. Uh, I don't know if he like showed up at the end of season 10 cause I never watched that, but uh, I don't remember him being in the show before now.
0: So I, I mean, you know what? The only neck like the the thing that that is only <laughs> sorry. The only thing that is better than watching Albert Brooks in Curb Your Enthusiasm is watching Albert Brooks in Curb Your Enthusiasm advocating for an idea about live funerals that you had.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> and Did talked that- about on the film cast.
2: Uh, I it, it the it must be delicious to you. You must be just drinking it in and and, and uh, relishing in your. Uh, your self-congratulations. I uh, I
0: mean, I am, except I think what this episode reveals is all it takes is one asshole like Blef Blanada yeah.
2: to Don't completely
0: torpedo the entire idea.
2: <laughs> Don't invite that guy to your, your faux funeral.
0: I, I, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. I, I literally had the thought when I was watching this, I can't invite Jeff Kanata to the live funeral anymore.
2: <laughs> I would because never. Because he's going to do this exact thing. I would never. You know that. I'm, I'm, I'm no misanthrope. <laughs> The, you know, know the other Jeff. I don't know. It felt pretty close to what <laughs> pretty, you might have done. Pretty, 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 pretty close. Pretty close. Um, the other, the <laughs> other person I, I was delighted to see involved, it, it, uh, it just seems like such a random person to be there is Lucy Liu. Lucy Liu is There's dating like Larry ongoing, David in the universe ongoing, of the show. Ongoing relationship between Larry David and Lucy Liu, which is like, Lucy, I think you could do better. I'm sorry, but I think you can do better.
0: <laughs> I, I think of that about every woman he's kind of attached to. Yeah. In show, so. Yeah. True. <laughs> All right. Well, that is Curb Your Enthusiasm. Season 11 is streaming right now on on HBO Max. Uh, I also had a chance to, in addition to Cop Shop Career Enthusiasm, I also watched The Premise. (gasps) All of them? (laughs) And I I can't, I'm not going to go into it right now because we we have to move on with the show. But I will just say um, I did not care for it. I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) I knew it. Did I predict (laughs) it? Did I predict it? And you mocked me for mocking you. And yet here we are.
0: Here's what I am going to say that, is actually very unfortunate is that you know jeff canada first of all touted the the benefits of the premise on the uh, on the podcast last week and he was like make sure you watch episodes one three and five is what you said <laughs> the only episode that i thought was actually good was two. episode two yeah I that. which i thought was ex- <laughs> episode two is like an excellent dude
1: you do not think,
2: think episode five was amazing yeah so no, what dave is no. really saying oh, is
1: uh, i take your opinion jeff canada and I wipe my ass with
0: it. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> really it's what's that's a great here. opinion for me to poop on. Yeah. For you, um, you know what? I'm
2: fucking up your faux funeral. <laughs> I'm <I've> decided.
0: <laughs> there may be there may come a time when we'll have a, a more in depth conversation about it. Uh, and I I I'm, hope I'm, you I'm, do. I'm open to that, Jeff. I'm open to it. But
2: anyway, um, I cannot I cannot believe yeah. you didn't at least appreciate episode five.
0: <laughs> I I did. A, you know, I appreciated the the uh, here. Actually, honestly, here's what I'm going to say: is uh, the problem with the premise, in my opinion, is the episodes are way too long. Because the execution is so silly, in my opinion, that it cannot sustain the 30-minute long runtime of each episode. There is a much better show, in my opinion, that uh, is very similar to the theme. It's called Eight Short Films About Technology. It's also streaming on Hulu. Um, that's kind of like, uh, you know, Black Mirror-ish, but happens in um, uh, in our real world, right? And each episode is only like 10, 20 minutes. Um, And like, then it's like, okay, sorry, it's nine films about technology is what it's called uh, on Hulu. And I felt like, okay, like, yes, this one is really silly, but like, it's, it's going to be over in three minutes, you know, like, but for some of these other ones, they just strange credulity so much that I couldn't really, uh, I couldn't really accept what it was trying to offer me, Jeff. So, mm-hmm. anyway, my thoughts on the premise. But I, I will say I would unreservedly recommend episode two. Uh, that is John Bernthal's no, in that it's episode. Very good. He, is, he is excellent. It's very good. It is episode,
2: humorless, so. but it is very good. Yes. It, it, it is It is odd because the rest of the show is very funny, in my opinion. I mean, if you
0: say so, yes. But yes, I mean, <laughs> I did not think so, But, uh, <laughs> but. I, I, yeah, I wasn't a fan. I'm glad you liked it, and Jeff. I I, I hope we have a longer conversation yeah. about this some point. You, I,
1: you know what? Given, podcast, promise, yes, given, given your Ted Lasso stance, yep, Dave, ahead, Dave. Uh, I I think I will be checking the show out. So <laughs> <laughs> I I'm mean,
2: afraid, I'll just say I think I'm just i what Davinier thinks of it. But I, yeah,
0: I, I, yeah, Divinja, please, please,
1: please check I it
2: out. Uh, I, I,
0: I encourage you to. I encourage I, you to.
2: I'm very curious what Davinier thinks, and and I will say, if you go back and listen to that episode, I or last week's episode. I, I think the show is brilliant and I urged you guys to watch it. Not because I thought you would like it, <laughs> but because you should I really thought, say that up front. <laughs> well, no, I, I think there's a genuine possibility you like it. Devendra. I I'm, I honestly uh-huh. don't know. You could go either way, truly could go either way on this one. And I'm very curious. I, if you remember I made a silly voice and indicated what I thought Dave was going to think, but I also think it will make for a very interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: well, somebody on Twitter, I don't remember who, I apologize, but res- I-, I made a couple tweets about the premise this weekend and somebody on Twitter responded, you know, uh, Jeff Kannada described it as a like a, a, an SNL sketch extended to like a 30 minute length, basically. Right. Well, and he's like, yes, Jeff Kannada was 100 percent right about that. But what we didn't understand was that that wasn't a compliment. (laughs) Uh, And I feel the same way. So anyway, it's the premise. It's streaming right now on Hulu. And that is what we have been watching this week. Hey,
1: everyone. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Pretty Litter. It's that time of the year when I'm just ready to smell pumpkin spice lattes and leaves falling from the trees and, uh, you know, maybe strike up my fire pit. But one thing I'm not talking about is the smell of my cat's litter boxes because, let's face it, nobody wants their home to smell like kitty litter, especially as it's getting colder and you want to spend more time inside. That's why now is the perfect time to switch to Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbing crystals trap odors instantly. And let me tell you, it's so much better than digging through clay and I've tried some like corn litter. They just never quite worked and their odor protection wasn't great. The crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can. And that's particularly useful if you've got a garbage can outside. I just never want to leave my house once it starts getting cold. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. And uh, you know what? Your allergies will thank you for that. And I think the coolest thing about Pretty Litter is that it changes colors to help detect early signs of potential illnesses in your cats, including urinary tract infections and, you know, kidney issues, things like that. I've had cats who've had UTI issues, and it's just really helpful to be able to catch that early. Pretty Litter also ships free to my door in a small lightweight bag, and I never run out of it. And I don't have to deal with a huge container of litter taking up space in my house or lugging something back from the store. It's a win-win for everybody. Make the switch to Pretty Litter today. It's just good sense. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use promo code FilmCast for 20% off your first order. That's PrettyLitter.com, promo code FilmCast for 20% off. PrettyLitter.com, promo code FilmCast. Let's do some weekly plugs real quick.
0: Weekly Weekly plugs is part of the show each week where we plug something that we have created or that someone else has created. This week, uh, I want to plug two things. I did an interview with Jay Caspian Kang, who is a very talented writer. He's written for the New York Times Magazine and a bunch of other things. uh, And he has written a book about Asian America or Asian Americans entitled The Loneliest Americans. And uh, I think it's a really provocative book. And I think he's a very talented writer. And I had a chance to chat with him about that book over on Culturally Relevant, the podcast. The other thing I wanted to mention is that Jeff Kanata and I made a TikTok together. What? It's our first <laughs> Jeff Kanata-Chen TikTok joint. And it was very enjoyable. It came together very quickly. And uh, I had a lot of fun making it with Jeff Kanata. So uh, hopefully the first of many. We'll see. But we'll follow see. me on TikTok to uh, check out the TikTok about Squid Game that I made I'm just.
2: Uh, I'm just grabbing on to the to the shooting star that is Dave <laughs> Chen's TikTok empire, it's true. It's Trying true. to You're hold hitching onto your the wagon coattails. to the right star. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. Uh, that's my weekly plugs. Davindra, your weekly plug. I just want to shout out my reviews of the
1: new MacBook Pro, 14 inch and 16 inch. It's over at AnGadget. I've spent my last week with those things, and it's always hell to get a review done, especially a big one like this, uh, really quickly but I, ho- I hope it turned out well. And these are good computers. So go check out the reviews. And I've got a video up
0: on YouTube as well. Should I keep my pre-order is the question, Andrew? For which Should one? I, uh, the 14 inch M1 Max. That's what I got. Yeah, oh, you, you went big boy
1: on that yeah. one. Um, <laughs> it is, as far as like a perfect, you know, little powerhouse, uh, powerhouse ultra portable goes. Uh, I, I think this, this computer is the thing like a lot of people have been waiting for. So stick with it. I think it's worth it. Um, and yeah, I've talked to a lot of people too, who wanted to like upgrade to a Mac Mini with these new chips at some point. And uh, I think if you get this, like, just you could use those computers in many different ways. They're fantastic. Yeah. They're just so goddamn expensive. Like That's the biggest flaw.
0: All right. Um, Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug?
2: I mentioned last week about the 100th episode of the Dungeon Run. And I try not to recommend the same thing two weeks in a row. But here I am again, to extol the virtues of the dungeon run, not only because that 100th episode was really, really cool and super fun, and I think an awesome jumping-on point for folks, but because this next week, Wednesday, the 27th of October, we will be streaming our Halloween Spectacular special, which is a one-shot, which means you don't have to have any prior knowledge. It's completely new characters, a one-night-only special self-contained adventure uh, and it is Halloween themed. I went really fun and wacky in a sort of crypt keeper kind of way. Uh, the quest is called, or the uh, the adventure is called the Quest in Question. It's got tons of puns, uh, goofy fun times. And not only that, we partnered with a company to provide us with a virtual set that you have to see to believe. It is really wild. Uh, the the tech on display. Uh, We are placed in this sort of Harry Potter-esque world. It's really, really cool. So check it out. It's streaming live at 6 p.m., starting at 6 p.m. Pacific time on twitch.tv slash The Dungeon Run on Wednesday, October 27th. uh, And then it will be on YouTube and as an audio podcast after that.
0: I also want to plug a couple things that are happening on the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash film podcast. Of course, a couple weeks ago, we had our Squid Game review. Uh, this week on the After Dark episode, we're going to be reviewing Midnight Mass. Jeff Kanata freaking marathoned this show to bring you this After Dark today. Yeah. Hero. You,
2: Hero you're going to want to listen to this one, I think. Yeah. You're really going to want to listen be a to this gr-
0: one. It will be a great one. So That's going to be exclusively available to patrons at patreon.com slash film podcast. Uh, our Midnight Master View. A lot of people have been asking for this one, and I'm looking forward to bringing it to you folks next week on the After Dark uh, Titan. We're going to be doing a review of Tatan uh, uh, with uh, me and Davindra and special guests. And so I am excited about that as well. All that stuff available to patrons at patreon.com slash film podcast. Mm-hmm. Make sure you check the tier so you're signing up for the right one. For sure. Uh, and also hashtag slash tag is how you can share recommendations for us. If you want to recommend something for us to watch, use hashtag slash mm-hmm. tag on Twitter or just shoot us an email at slash filmcast at gmail.com.
2: That's, right, that's Tan, why I watched the premise is because of a hashtag slash tag.
0: Very nice. Yep. Very nice. I do I do want to shout out, Titan is
1: on VOD now, so you yes. can actually see it.
0: Yeah. Indeed. All right. Those are our weekly plugs. Let's get to our review of Dune.
2: There's something happening to me. There's something awakening in my mind. I can't control it.
3: What did you see? There's a crusade coming. You often dream things that happen just as you dream them. Yes. The test is simple remove your hand from the box, and you die. What's well, in the box? Pain. You inherit too much power. You have proven you can rule yourself.
2: You must learn to rule others.
3: Something none of your ancestors learned. My father rules an
2: entire planet.
3: He's losing it.
2: He's getting a richer one. He'll lose that one too.
0: That was from the trailer for Denis Villeneuve's Dune, which is out in theaters right now and on HBO Max. I'm gonna read the plot summary from IMDB a feature adaptation of Frank Herbert's science fiction novel about the son of a noble family entrusted with the protection of the most valuable asset and most vital element in the galaxy, end quote. Joining us today on the Filmcast for our review of Dune, he is a filmmaker and film critic whose work has appeared in the New York Times, New York Magazine, IGN, IndieWire, Polygon, and The Observer, the latter of which is where you can find his review of Dune. Siddhant Adlaka, welcome to the Filmcast.
3: Thank you you very much. Sorry. Thank you very much for having me. I'm doing great. How about you?
0: I'm great. You know, I'm so great that it only took me one attempt to read that (laughs) list of credits. Flawless. (laughs) Flawless. Um, Yeah. Sidant Ivlaka is, in my opinion, one of the most talented film critics on the internet right now. And uh, we're very honored that you've decided to join us today for this review. It's been a long time coming. It's been very many months we wanted to get you on (laughs) and uh, glad we could finally make it work today, man. So uh, appreciate it. So, Siddharth, why don't you start by telling – actually, let's let's all start by talking about uh, whether or not we have actually read the books, what our familiarity is with this story. Have we seen the David Lynch version of the movie? Sidanth, why don't you kick us off?
3: Sure. First of all, thank you for your kind words. Um, so, I went into this version of Dune not really knowing anything about it, um, but I have seen the David Lynch version, and I still basically knew nothing going in. Uh, so I may as well have, you know, had zero familiarity. You saw the previous version and still knew nothing about the story. Basically. That's uh, That sounds like, like the Lynch no residual too. presence. Yeah, uh, I think <laughs> apart from the glossary of terms that show up in the five minutes uh, where the movie starts, like spoken directly to camera, apart from that, I don't think there was much that I was able to retain.
1: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Kyle MacLachlan writing, you know, a sandworm—that that's in my brain. That's embedded in me. Yeah. <laughs> Devendra,
0: aside from watching the David Lynch movie, have you read the book by any chance?
1: No, no, I've actually I feel like I have tried to read Dune at least half a dozen times. I have the audiobook. (laughs) I have multiple copies of this book. And every time I feel like I get a few chapters in, I just like I I tap out immediately. So I've tried and maybe I'll try again because after this movie.
0: There's a whole culture online on TikTok and on YouTube that's basically advice on how to read Dune. You know, like yeah. Yeah. So people it's are hard. finding it very really challenging. With to page read Dune. one, yes. open the front cover.
2: But what if you don't like it? <laughs> Left how do you to keep right. going? <laughs> Jeff Canata, your familiarity with the story? I read Dune as a kid. It was never my favorite sci-fi universe. Uh, I was I was much more taken by uh, a more hopeful sci-fi. As I've said numerous times on the show, Asimov, uh, Heinlein, Arthur C. Clarke. Those were my those were my boys. Um, and uh, I I always felt, frankly, that there was uh, there was a little too much religion in my science in Dune, um, and it just it just it wasn't the tone that uh, that really uh, resonated with me. And to that end, I don't know if I've ever actually revealed this before. I've never seen the David Lynch version all the way oh, through. I've seen oh. scenes from it. Uh-huh. I've quoted scenes from it, but I've never, uh, I've never seen it all the way through.
1: That, that movie is kind of wild, to be honest. Like, I, I feel like it, it has had a bit of a reckoning, maybe like it's achieved cult status. I th- I think there are parts of that movie that are absolutely beautiful, even though nothing makes sense in
0: it. Well, uh, I'm just going to say I have uh basically zero familiarity with any of this. Um, I haven't seen the movie, <laughs> haven't read the book. So yeah. it feels like we're going to have a really nice wide diversity of perspectives here. Sure, sure. On the show, in terms of big, like- our Big exposure- head, Dune Empty. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so Siddhartha so Dlaka, and actually, actually, we should also say, by the way, that I think to have the most meaningful discussion and maximize the use of our time here, we are going to spoil this, this movie the 2021 movie of dune right from the start so 50 year old story anything yes yeah Yeah. we're we're not gonna spoil anything that happens in the future uh part two of dune um but we are also just going to want to talk freely about what happens in dune this movie and by the way i also want to point out that uh when the title came up it said dune part one uh-huh, which is a fact that I think they have tried to strategically hide from all the marketing of this film right like uh, yeah they they have not it has not been advertised as dune part one um so uh just f y i if you're listening this far uh you are only getting part one of what is hopefully gonna be a two part story, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but you should assume there's gonna be spoilers for dune part one, the movie starting right now, so uh, let's get into it so not the locker let's start with overall thoughts on the movie what did you think of dune did you find it to be an engaging work of sci-fi uh, or fantasy
3: um i'll say from the outset that i more or less liked it uh, I like the atmosphere that it created i think Villeneuve um, has something really interesting going on with the way he's able to capture well create in fact you know, a lot of this was created from the ground up create and capture you know these gorgeous environments that are so sprawling, but they also feel intimate in a way and they kind of draw you in. Um, uh, I can't say I really cared much about any of the characters, uh, except Jason Momoa's character because he's Jason Momoa. Um, (laughs) It's like, is he going to have a beard? Is he not going to have a beard? (laughs) What's going to happen next? I was just glad that he said, my boy, several times that <laughs> he says, my man, in Justice League. <laughs> yep. So that yeah. did it for me. So between the atmospheres and, you know, uh, Aquaman in the movie, I think that element of it, those two elements of it worked. Um, but I also think it's it's interesting in that it feels almost like this enormous boulder that's been tumbling downhill for 50 plus years and just picking up all of this, you know, Middle Eastern imagery through the decades uh, and sort of absorbing, you know, global politics, whether it's, you know, the book, the Lynch version, this version, they all exist in different eras, but they all end up being part of this, you know, continuum of like uh, Western media's relationship to the Middle East in a way. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. uh, Which is kind of a bummer because of the lack of Middle Eastern people in the movie. You know, Um, I... I I thought it was actually kind of bizarre where you have this movie that seems to be heavily inspired in some ways, as, at least aesthetically, by uh, the Middle East. But then there's very little casting of, of people in the Middle East. It would be like mm-hmm. uh, Raya and the Last Dragon having no, you know, uh, Vietnamese people in it or something. You know, it's like it just is. It, it was very bizarre. I feel it, it was very like discordant experience to watch the movie. But it sounds like overall. You enjoyed the movie despite kind of a lack of emotional engagement with the story or the characters. Is that, am I characterizing
3: that right? I would say so. Uh, despite that and despite a lack of it feeling like it had a real ending, um, it's it's a very long movie. And yet at the same time, it just kind of ends uh, and not in the way like, you know, when they split up <laughs> the final Harry Potter book or the yeah, final Twilight yeah. book, you know, you kind of... it. it sure it's a little inorganic in those but at least there's like a definitive like beat there it's like oh this low point or this you know big twist or whatever it is over here it didn't really feel the same because over here it to me it felt like okay we're done setting things up but for the actual payoff to this story tune in next time three or yeah. four years from now to
1: t- in next time and also we don't know if there will be a next time so good luck everybody <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it felt so weird
0: it felt so weird yeah <laughs> God help us all. God help us all. Um, all right. <laughs> Devinder Hardwar, really curious. What did you think of Dune? Oh, I I absolutely
1: adored this movie. I, I feel like it hits all the sweet spots for me in terms of the things Denis Villeneuve does really well uh, in terms of like epic science fiction, slow burn genre work. Like, this is a beautiful movie. And I just wrote up a piece at Gadget actually about, um, you know, this thing's on HBO Max. I think this is one of those movies that you kind of have to see in a theater. You kind of just have to be consumed, allow yourself to be consumed by these like huge vistas and the giant sandworms and everything, because I think it's a, it's a huge accomplishment and like a great big screen experience. I didn't even see this thing on IMAX, but I, um, I remember just being like kind of awestruck as I left the theater. And also because of that really bad, the really bad way it ended. Um, But I I remember stumbling out and just being like, man, the the real world is small guys. You know, there, there's no spaceships here. Sandworms. The buildings are way too small. Like it's not, it's not big. It's not dude. Take me back to dude. So I was, I was fully ready. Like if, if the second part of this movie was right there to play right after for another three hours or so, I would have sat down and watched the rest of it. Like, I am fully on board with what um, they're doing with this. I I think it's a beautiful production. I love all the actors. Um, You know, Timothy, maybe hit or miss in this one for me. Like, I feel like he he has such a non-presence in this movie that I did kind of rely on the people around him to do a lot of the character heavy lifting for me and Oscar Isaac so good and Re- Rebecca Ferguson so good. Like everybody else is really on point here. So that really carried it for me. It's really the aesthetic that I love and um, the, the Villeneuve sensibility of just like letting this story breathe, which I appreciated while watching it, but certainly by the end I was like, why are we just ending here? This seems like a really weird place to just stop because I am, I'm ready. I'm fully ready for more, um we don't know if we'll ever get part two but then we're also seeing like i think just yesterday there were comments from the warner brothers ceo was like i don't know maybe maybe depending on how the box office looks we'll see part two i don't know you tell me audience and it feels like they're playing this weird game right where they're not going to guarantee the other one until like they they see numbers or something at the same time i believe we know i think villeneuve has already finished the script like he is ready to go so they're yeah. just playing this weird game of chicken right now. Well, let's makes talk a little bit about It just needs that. a yeah. few
2: hundred million dollars. That's yeah. all it
1: takes. Yeah. It would be a shame something happened
0: to this beautiful sci-fi <laughs>
2: franchise over here.
1: Maybe you should go to
0: theaters. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, I think, first of all, it was a tragic miscalculation to not shoot part one and part two at Absolutely. the same time. Right? Absolutely. Like, yes. you got got to get... All the cast members, ship them back out. They, they've probably already torn down all the sets, right? Ask so, them not to age. <laughs> you got to get all the cast members, ship them out into the desert again, have them do the, you know, it's just like, oh, like this was a a, a big mistake to because just the logistics of getting mm-hmm, the cast mm-hmm. together again alone, not even talking about any yeah. of the stuff, is going to be tremendous. So mm-hmm. already the logistical <laughs> kind of components are arrayed against them D- didn't um, we do this we did this 20 years ago it worked out
1: pretty well for lord of the rings you yeah. know like if, well, if you want to actually went through the same big. thing
0: where yes i think they had said it, it was actually the alternate universe dune where i think they had offered mm-hmm. to peter jackson like let's do two movies for the right, lord right. of the rings and and he was like no a, a i'm not going to do two movies because it's three books and and B uh, let's shoot them all at once you know mm-hmm. like let's just mm-hmm. let's just get in do them all at once it was obviously a huge bet for new line cinema paid off but with dune uh, i just feel like I-, I am not feeling great about yeah. the prospect yeah. of getting the sequel um, and we should point out by the way that as we're recording this right now this review section of uh, our podcast is being made available early for patrons at patreon.com/filmpodcast uh, so thanks to all the patrons who are helping to support the show and they get a nice little bonus uh, version of this review that's early. But the flip side of that is we have no idea how well yeah. this movie
1: did this weekend. E- everything
0: <laughs> could change by
1: tomorrow, too. It does sound right. like there'd be, they're, they're just like they want good numbers, maybe really good HBO Max numbers, too. But yes. it just sounds it sounds like it's. Actually, going to happen.
0: Like it seems like all the pieces are in place. You're just feeling like it's, you're feeling it. good about it. Rebecca Ferguson oh, gave an interview where she's like, absolutely. "I'm free next year," so yeah. uh, it's it's possible. But yes, uh, <laughs> hopefully, if you're a patron, you know, hop on your HBO Max, put this thing on a loop all weekend to get those <laughs> HBO streaming numbers up, uh, and let's uh let's push yeah. this boulder up the hill.
1: Well, my, um, my main argument is if you can safely make it to the theater, go to the biggest damn screen you can find. Like that's I think it is worth it to en- envelope yourself in this world.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay, Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Dune.
2: Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on Dune are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Huh.
0: You know, this is, it's interesting, you know, Sadant might not have heard of this limerick practice that you do, and maybe we should explain it to him (laughs) a little
2: bit. Oh, yes. Apologies, Sadant. Um, (laughs) (laughs) here's the thing. Dave is a, a raging despot. He yeah. he rules he, this. He's podcast. our own Baron Harkonnen. Indeed, yeah. indeed, he rules this podcast with an iron fist. Also, yeah. dips himself in murky liquid from time yeah. to time. The uh,
1: uh, the limericks must flow. Right? The limericks <laughs> must flow is what he has said. If there's
2: no limericks, uh, he goes to war with our podcast. He said there must be at least one limerick in every episode, and it has fallen to me. To make that happen i don't want to do it the audience does not like it actively does not like it but it is dave he said this all comes crashing down uh, Mm -hmm. if the spice does not flow so here we are
0: (laughs) all right all right so let's hear the limerick jeff
2: if we never get the second piece my estimation of this will decrease but as part one of a tale i'm in awe of the scale it's a visual masterpiece Nice, bravo, nicely, nicely done. Bravo. Yeah,
0: well done. Solid limerick, Jeff. Really Thank nicely you. done. So the, the podcast can survive. for The another, podcast survives <laughs> another, week. For another day.
2: Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> I have done something I never do. I've watched this movie twice before <gasps> our review. Wow, that <gasps> rhymes.
0: Yeah. Amazing.
2: Uh, and w- the first <laughs> one at- didn't
0: know it. Okay, no go ahead. <laughs>
2: I've, I I uh, I saw the first one at a press screening in IMAX. And then I saw the second at home in my home theater on HBO Max, and I wanted to compare the two experiences. And I will say uh, this movie is worthy of IMAX. In in fact, uh, watching it at home, I was I, I kept feeling like they cut off parts yeah, of yeah. the frame.
1: They absolutely did. They they like panned and scanned. For oh yeah, I mean that, that is exactly yeah. what
2: they've done, right? Because they yeah. can't fit it. And I maybe you you three can explain to me. Why it is that my home theater has bars on the top and bottom, and yet wow. when we go into the IMAX sequences, those don't just go away, and it changes to a different format in the home presentation. They, they never
0: do that for streaming. I,
2: think. I don't yeah, understand. They, they generally
0: don't do it in streaming. Yet, well, I understand
2: but, they don't, but yeah. but is there a reason?
0: I don't—my guess is— you know, I don't, I don't have a guess. I, yeah. I think there might be like a, a lowest common denominator at work if I were to surmise, right? Like mm-hmm. that it's like, oh, it's going to be extremely con- disorienting, confusing to people if their aspect ratio changes throughout the film. Like they'll think something is broken, right? Huh. And they'll be like, hey, call, they call up the HBO Max and say, hey, why is it not <laughs> filling up the whole screen? And the other times, it, you know, it's just like, let's yeah. just avoid that whole conversation. Let's by... just leave it for the nerds. They, they know what's up yeah the that strikes me as wild
2: arrays. speculation but
0: <laughs> it, it is wild speculation but also i've worked at a streaming company before so oh, okay. yeah i, I yeah. would love
2: if there's a listener that knows uh f- you know has some actual uh intel on this i would be yeah. very curious to find Listen, out because t- totally
1: i am
0: totally open to it slash at gmail.com for sure
1: it's uh, yeah. streaming is a lawless land like seinfeld <laughs> is back on netflix cropped and in widescreen, oh, yeah. and we didn't we fix this? Didn't we have this argument no. like years ago? And they did it with Simpsons. Like nobody learns anything. Nobody remembers anything. My Streaming. favorite. My that's, favorite thing that's about that's this. my whole
0: point, though. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah,
1: Jeff. yeah.
2: My yeah. favorite thing about the Seinfeld thing is is that there's evidently an episode called like the hole in the ground or yeah. something yeah. like that. The, the manhole. manhole. Yeah. yeah. And like every shot of the manhole. <laughs> Is, <laughs> you can't see the manhole because or it was four by hole. three. The potholes, the potholes, the, yeah, pot yeah. But yeah,
0: but that's that's exactly my point. Is like they're like, hey, let's just let's just get this into the lowest common denominator that everyone's going to understand. Oh, it, the image fills my entire screen. No one's going to give a shit that they're cropping off the top of the bottom. You know, like they're, they they're engineering mm-hmm. it so that it is going to make the most sense for the most people. It so. feels.
2: Like that is easily surmounted with a, yeah. with a simple title card at the beginning or, or something. You know, I don't for know. Choice. We've been do doing that choice. for the, decades the, too. Edges
0: yeah. of the screen will change wildly throughout the course. Well, of the the, movie. we've done yeah. that for years.
2: You know, the the this format has changed in, from the director's intent or whatever. You know, we've seen yeah, those yeah. for decades. It's like Guys, I don't know.
1: When Disney Plus launched, I was talking with the CTO of Disney Plus, <laughs> and I was like, "Dude, what? Wait." What what's going on with your Simpsons cropping? Like, uh, you're you're back to stretching it, and he's like, "Oh, it's not gonna be a big deal." <laughs> Next day, see, it's the thing. Everybody was like, "We fixed this for for FX," and yet the problem still, you know, returned on this new service. So, yeah, I I don't know if these people listen. I don't know.
2: Well, and, be that as it may, uh, the I do think that it is very much worth seeing it in IMAX. However, mm-hmm. however, this film it seems to me, is a fragile experience. I went to a press screening, which one would assume would be uh, (laughs) highly uh, optimized for the best possible (laughs) viewing. Uh And after it, there was a PR representative standing at the door apologizing to everyone because the the bulb in the projector of the IMAX screening was Mm. miscalibrated and much of the end of the film was almost completely unviewable because of how dark it was much of this movie much of the most exciting moments of this movie happen in the dark yeah uh, like you know in the context of the film like at night in the in the darkness of night uh and so uh you know there is a lot that if you just happen to be at a screening where the projection is not uh you know tuned correctly is not uh, you know, nobody's overlooking that you, I think you could probably have come, feel, come away feeling it's a, you know, pretty negative experience. And I think also sound in this film is extraordinary. There is, I mean, the, the, the score is phenomenal and there is so much happening, uh, layers of sound that is happening. There is stuff mm-hmm. that happens at the end of this movie that in my IMAX screening, <laughs> my IMAX screening, I missed, but because I'm fortunate enough to have a home theater that has really great sound, I heard whispers and voices talking to Paul. Oh,
1: right. Yeah. Mm.
2: Like reveal kind of what's happening in that moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, There, you know, there's this voice coming in that, you know, saying why a vision he's having is different than the reality of what happens. And you you can very well miss it if your theater just doesn't have the right mm-hmm, sound or it's mm-hmm. not turned up uh, properly or whatever. So I think this this is a really artistic approach, you know, as Villeneuve often is, to uh, to sci-fi and therefore I think fragile. Um I will also say I love Villeneuve. Uh, visually this this film is staggering. The you know, Dave. You say often you could print up any frame of a movie and, and use it as a poster, um, as a compliment. And, and I think this movie is that more than most. Um, it is the 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 style, the 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 cinematography. The it is exquisite, exquisite. And you could just kind of fall into this world, like like DaVinci said. You know, it's better than the real world, um, which is saying something because much of this movie is bleak, <laughs> uh, but you know, it is worth seeing on that scale alone. And I hope that everyone who's listening to this gets to see it well projected, you know, (laughs) properly tuned. It is because my home theater, I think the experience was superior, except for the fact that the top and bottom of the image was cut off so often. Mm -hmm. So neither time did I have the optimal uh, situation. I think the movie is quite striking and incredible, but like all Villeneuve movies, ponderous. He languishes in this mood that he establishes. I mean, he establishes expertly. I mean, it is a, a, an amazing composition of mood. He it, it, it brings you into this place with a, a high level of skill, but he often wallows in it. And I think, you know, as a two and a half hour plus movie, it, it could have a, a bit more pulse, a, a bit more of a, a you know a, a alacrity mm-hmm. yeah. that I would have appreciated.
1: It's a vibe like so many his movies, it's a, right? Like his movies, yeah. and
2: you either sort of are into that vibe or aren't. Like with Blade Runner, I kind of never got into that vibe, and mm-hmm. with this movie, I I did, but also I would have appreciated like there are full on set piece action sequences. Only a few of which feel like set piece action sequences. There's this amazing sequence, I think probably my favorite sequence in the whole movie, where they have to evacuate these people from, uh, you know, a spice mining rig. Uh, yeah.
0: Incredible sequence.
2: Yeah. Incredible, incredible. I, yep. I, it's staggering, and the music and the way it, the, the layering of the sound and, and how it's shot. It's just. Incredible, But then there's a couple of other sequences that are supposed to feel like, I think like set or on the page probably feel like uh, set pieces that never get there because he just shoots them in a way where it's more like these, you know, these sort of uh, ponderous views of these incredibly gorgeous vistas. And it's like, no, there's... Fucking action happening, dude! Let's like, let's let's get in there. Let's have a little um, a little pulse here. Um, I have
0: a few, can I can I react to a few, couple things you just said? Is that please. Cool? Uh, number one, I've decided that one of my kinks uh, in watching movies is uh, pilots taking decisive action during an emergency. Um, <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Because yeah. I, yeah. I was I I tweeted a, a TikTok that went viral uh, this week about basically it was uh, audio from Interstellar but yeah. it was a drone screwing in a light bulb. Basically. <laughs> the docking sequence from The docking so sequence, right. Yeah. And that, you know, I had a lot of problems with Interstellar, but that was one of the coolest things ever was when, you know, Matt, uh, spoilers for Interstellar, if you have not seen Interstellar, but basically at the end of that movie, uh, Matt Damon does something incredibly dumb. Matt Damon and almost dooms them all, and then oh, Matt Damon, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 And then Matthew McConaughey is like instantly like hey, analyze the spin. We're gonna effing do this thing, and then we're gonna do it does. manually. We're yeah. doing it. It is like incredible. It's like an amazing sequence. It's, it's the, mm-hmm. my favorite sequence of the whole movie. Also, Basically, Oscar music, Isaac does like, the exact same thing in this movie. He's just yeah. like yeah, we're doing uh, it. Yeah, we're doing going it. in. We're going in. Yep, yep. And no, it's it, it,
2: it's, the, it's awesome. I and mean, you're so right. The, dis- the, the, the decisiveness of it, where he's like. How many, how many people are on that thing? 21? <laughs> uh, we, we can get six of yeah. them on each thing. And then the, it sounds like that, that means we, we still don't have three. He's like, we'll figure it out.
0: And I'm like, go it in. <laughs> Between the so... time when I leave this, when I fly down to when we get there, we're going to figure it out. <laughs> it's so awesome, yeah. <laughs> I mean,
2: to me, that's my favorite sequence of the whole movie. But there's, there's a number of other sequences that, like, have the scale and uh and motion of an action sequence but kind of don't, Ever rise to that climactic feel for me, and I and I just, I mean, as much as I love Villeneuve, and I do, I mean, Arrival is one of my favorite movies of the last, you know, two decades or whatever. Um, it, it, Arrival, like, is ponderous, and this movie kind of feels like it. It didn't need to be quite as ponderous. It, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally not using the, the the word lugubrious because I know that's. Speaking of kinks, I think there's a few <laughs> listeners who that, that is their kink. But, um, but you know, I, 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 think, I think this could have a bit more pace to it. And, and again, as you guys have, you know, reiterated numerous times now, if we don't get a second film, it's all for naught. Because you, you are so right. There's no ending to this movie. It just sort of peters out. And what is supposed to, I think, feel like the big climactic ending, which is this fight sequence... Does not at all. It it does. It feels like this sort of, you know, sidetrack almost mm-hmm. to to the main plot yeah. and a sub
0: boss. Tall at the end is what you're talking yeah. about, right?
2: Yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway. It feels uh, like a
1: sub boss fight and not like a big boss fight, <laughs> yeah, you know. Right. Yeah. And that's and then hey Zendaya,
2: end. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> well, I, I'm sure got a great paycheck for being sure, in this movie for 14 for two minutes, minutes. Yeah, you
0: know? I have a lot of thoughts about what you, what you said. One thing I wanted to read is this. Um, uh, this review on Letterboxd by a user named Sophie, Sophie Planos on Letterboxd. At the top of her review is like an imagined dialogue between Zendaya and Denis. And she, she writes, Zendaya, so how much of my screen time is slow motion? Denis, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so good. Yeah, there, You know, the thing is, though, if you look at Denis Villeneuve's other movies, he, there are quote unquote action scenes, but they're all, they're similarly paced to this. Like I don't feel mm-hmm. like you know Blade Runner had like that Blade Runner twenty forty nine had like rip roar in action, and this one that's, didn't. That's why I, mean? I
2: didn't like Blade Runner. I mean, I,
0: you uh, know yeah. me, I,
2: I didn't give a very positive review to that film. You guys lavished praise on it, and most people did. It didn't really work for me. I think I think he. I mean Sicario. Is that that's fu- a big action movie. It's yeah. a big fucking action movie. So yeah. I, I don't think it's always the case with his movies, but uh, and there are some like you know heart in my throat moments in Sicario. But I I just think his style fits so well with something like Arrival, which is which is this cerebral, ponderous kind of like uh uh you know, it, it's an, an intellectual activity rather than sort of a pulse pounding one. And I just think his his style lends itself for my money more to that.
0: Yeah, it's a fair point. Uh, I disagree. I f- and I also would argue that Sicario, while it has some action, most and I've seen that movie like five, it's a six thinking times. person's action movie. Yeah, yeah. M- most of that, yeah, it's a thinking person's action movie. Most of the action is like uh, most of what we think of as action is actually stuff leading up to the action. Yeah, right. Stuff. It's the tension, it's stuff, it's so the tension and yeah. the extremely exquisite editing that makes it feel like oh my gosh, something could pop off at any second. Yeah. And very little action actually does occur in that film, um, but. You know, there's not there's not that many shootouts. There's like one or two shootouts, like straight up shootouts, and even those don't last very long. It's all the stuff that happens before and after in that movie, and I think that's the same in this movie as well. But anyway, no, I think uh, that's a fair
2: point. I think yeah. I think you, I think you make a good case for that. And there are some extraordinary, like the dudes rising up out of the sand to assassinate people. Like that is an incredible image. It just doesn't feel like an action sequence. It feels like this. Nature photography, you know? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. uh, Siddhant, I'm curious, Like, what was your opinion on the action of this film? What were you expecting and did this movie live up to it?
3: Um, I have to be honest, apart from um, what you just mentioned about the people rising up out of the sand and I think um, the evacuation, uh, I, I don't really remember much of the action. Uh, I, I, I saw the movie quite recently. I think it was less than two weeks ago. So that is unfortunately not what stuck with me, even though when it comes to a movie like Dune, um, generally uh, action is what draws me into the theater in the first place. Um, So I guess for this, it was more of the, strangely enough, it was more of the stillness and the, um, all of the non character and non action stuff Mm -hmm. that uh, held my attention. And that's not normally the case. Uh, But to me, it just felt like when, the camera was either still or just, you know, gliding over a surface or a city. And you could feel, you could almost feel, quote unquote, the story in your bones or happening in the air around you uh, or on, you know, in the air around the characters rather than through what the characters were saying or doing. Weirdly, that's when it worked most for me. Um, You know, and I know that, this is a very unrealistic ask, and this would never happen in a million years uh, because this is, you know, it's a studio film, it's an action movie, it's based on a pre existing property. But I almost imagined like an alternate version of this story. Uh, told like in the vein of Godfrey Reggio's Koyaanisqatsi or like Laika mm. Samsara where it's yeah, just yeah. non-narrative experimental atmospheric shots and that granted the movie would be maybe 20 minutes long uh, <laughs> it feels but, like there's an edit of
2: this movie that you could do like <laughs> yeah. that
3: I yeah. mean yeah, that's the basically, stuff that works most for me
1: in this That's one. kind of what Disney did with some of their Star Star Wars stuff right we've talked yeah. about that so yeah maybe maybe
0: we'll get some of that edits on HBO Max eventually So let me share a few thoughts uh, of mine on this movie. I loved this movie. I think it is a size and scale and ambition of sci-fi storytelling or fantasy story, sci-fi fantasy. I don't know what the technical term is that we get only a few times per generation. You know, like this feels like the kinds of movies that I would have watched growing up that would have been hugely influential to me, you know, uh, and I would remember fondly for decades to come, uh, I think that my understanding of the book is that it's basically unfilmable. Uh, there are, there's so much backstory. There's so much stuff that happens in the book. There's so many, like there's things that are just offhandedly mentioned in this movie that fill up pages and pages of the novel. Is my understanding, and so I agree with the approach that in order to make this an engaging film, you need to strip it down to its barest essentials. And give it an emotional through line. And I think that this movie did exactly that. Like, I could follow pretty much all of what was happening on screen. There was, like, references to stuff that, like, I didn't know what it was. And if this was a TV show, maybe they would have dedicated a whole, a whole episode to the Bene Gesserit, for example. Um, but you, they don't have time or, for that. Or you a whole gotta, series
1: to them, yeah. apparently. They just got to move yeah.
0: on. They got to move on. And But for me, the abridg- abridging that they did to the story really helped to carry me through for the whole movie and I found it to be quite engaging and very comprehensible um so overall and you guys have already talked about the visuals and how beautiful the movie is how incredible the sound is and I agree with all that like this is a movie where I literally Dvinder, like I finish it I'm like I, I need to watch this again yeah <laughs> you know, like, exactly as exactly. soon yeah, as possible back to Dune we <laughs> yeah. must go back to Dune yeah, I know I know and uh, so uh, I am really excited to to check it out. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have more thoughts on the ending. We'll we'll get to that in a little bit. I think I'll just say um, a few more thoughts about the movie overall. I didn't love Timothee Chalamet as the as the lead of the movie. Um, yeah, he felt yeah. a little bit like Neo in The Matrix, only without the "Whoa, dude" sensibility to him, which means there's not that much there at all. Like. <laughs>
2: Most of his most of his performances, like Neo, is ninety percent woe dude. Is what I, that's you're what saying. I'm saying.
0: <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And he, but it's a very similar role. It's like very similar, like character dynamic, right? Of realizing you're the one and stuff. Yeah. And uh, most of his movies, the, his lines are kind of grunted at low pitch. You know, he's kind of like, and it means that I need to be the leader. You know, like it's very like, and I guess that's how that works. You know, and it, it's just. <laughs> wasn't particularly inspiring to me. Not not uh, really a motive. Yeah. Correct. Uh Sidant, I'm curious like what did you think of Timothee's performance?
3: Um I don't really have any strong feelings on it either way, and I don't think that's a good thing because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's not the kind of thing that was like, you know, an Eddie Redmayne in uh Jupiter Ascending where he's yes. making decisions. You know? At and least I was an I, l- I yeah. love the
2: Jupiter Ascending reference. And yes. yes. <laughs> Who references that movie? I think at? about that every day. Okay. <laughs>
3: and I know it's not that kind of movie, but um, like you said, he it, it comes off as Neo, but without the sort of the sincere the sense of wonder. You know, yeah. And yeah. I, I think it, uh, I don't know whether this was the cause or effect, but it the, the result for me sort of feels like there's nothing really going on with the character. Mm-hmm. Nothing particularly, you know interesting drawing you in from a character's perspective Well drawing me in i shouldn't speak for anyone else but um yeah i i i don't have anything bad to say about him i think he's a wonderful actor um i think there was a very limited set of things for him to draw on in this film
0: yeah i think that's right I, one of the most powerful moments in the movie to me was towards the end of the film when he and his mom are hiding out in that tent in the middle of the desert and he basically, exc- like, he accuses her of, like, you know, you're the reason I'm a freak, basically. Like, yeah. y- you you made me a freak. And it was in that moment when you kind of realize the deleterious effects that being, I guess, telepathic or psychic or whatever right. it is, uh, force sensitive, has had on him his entire life. Like, that was a very powerful moment to me. but The ultimate culmination of, like, centuries of eugenics, right, apparently? Right. So yes. You
1: guys did this to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: so that that was a really powerful moment, but I, I agree. That's like, uh, those moments are few and far between, I would say, throughout the course of the film. So that's unfortunate. Um, we haven't really talked about how cool the tech is in this uh, movie. Uh, I everything. think that um, yeah. one of the things that's from the book, my understanding is that uh, they ha- they have outlawed artificial intelligence basically or or things of that nature uh which is why th- that's not i don't think it's covered in the movie as far as i can mm-hmm, recall mm-hmm. but that's why you're in the year 10,000 and there's no like thinking machines and machine learning and whatever the hell um it's very much a kind of uh industrial mm-hmm. you know machine like um, machines that are like extension of humans versus like machines that think for themselves world and uh, uh but the result is Something that feels very distinct. It feels kind of very Blade Runner e, um, and there's just so much cool tech in this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna list a couple. The ornithopter. Uh, I'm just the whole time I'm thinking to myself, wait, is that a better system for flying through <laughs> deserts? You know, like, like dragonfly wings. Could, could uh, I we don't do? Know. Sh- would we do that if we could? You know,
2: was <laughs> well, it my certainly thing. looks badass. It That's looks so all cool. Very
1: cool. Looks I so love cool. the cockpit. Is just Ugh. like dials, cool stuff. Even the who even like the watches. headsets
2: that they're wearing as pilots are <laughs> yeah. freaking rad. Those yeah. are
1: those are VR headsets, you know, Jeff.
2: I uh, I, I suspected that, but I wasn't yeah. sure. Norm yeah.
1: from Tested, Norm Chan uh, pointed out like that is an HTC Vive Deluxe Audio Strap, which I have sitting right behind me. <laughs> so me like, too. Oh that,
0: oh, that looks familiar.
1: Baller. Okay. Baller. Love it.
0: Uh, but like every five minutes, there was like a new piece of tech introduced. Uh That's like, Oh my God, this is incredible. You know, like stuff in the background, by the way, like, let me just mention Stephen McKinley Henderson,
1: an actor who I love seeing in everything. He was in devs a couple of years ago too. At one point he just calculates like the distance they traveled, right? How much spice did it cost them to get here? And his eyes flash white, you know, he's like, what? Ooh, okay. (laughs) He He is like computing something. Something's happening. They never explain it. He just does it. Right. Yeah, and yeah, he it's is great. a
0: mentat, is my understanding. Yes, and, uh, they are. They basically are humans that have replaced computers, right? So, uh, but yeah, the super cool stuff. The uh, all the micro machines, <laughs> not <laughs> micro the cars, machines. but like you know uh, the little like insect thing yeah. creature that could kill Timotei, and uh, the it, it just all, all the film books, like the design actually Mm -hmm. it actually reminded me of video games you know how when you walk around in video games there's like people leave cassette tapes with like personal diaries on them all the time in video games and the film books kind of reminded me a little bit of that
1: it's just we kind of have that stuff too right don't you have a portable projector dave that you I can do. just like cast a thing on the wall? It doesn't do holograms, unfortunately. Not but yet. Yes.
0: Yes. It, it, not yet. Not yet. One day it will. Uh, so I, I thought the vision of this world, like every few minutes, I'm just like, there's something cool to look at. Uh, the personal shields.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The w- The design look of that. and execution
0: of them yeah. was so cool.
2: Yeah, and, and, and a, a visual language that was immediately clear yes. as to they know, don't explain.
0: It. I don't think they ever like explain not a single
2: word, not a single word. It's there. all explained mm-hmm. through action, through using them. Oh, so, yeah. good. but and it's also so clear, you know, you know exactly, and it has to set that up for um, for the fight scene with uh, with Aquaman. Yes, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it, you know it. Uh, yeah, it has to set that up so we know when he's in danger and when he's not, and it completely does. Yeah, uh, you know the fight scene with Thanos sets up the fight scene with Aquaman <laughs> this <laughs> is the, the world we confused, live in
0: yeah. the only thing I was confused at was like I guess the personal shields like they offer some protection yeah. but not like the, the slow protection. blade can yeah. go through the shield Is like slow, the one slow bit of blade, info um, yeah. uh, poison gas uh, yeah. can go through the shield you know uh, have, you, have you guys seen uh, the uh, the Lynch version of the shields
3: where everyone turns yeah. into TARS from Interstellar? It's amazing <laughs> when they <laughs> it turn is the cool. on. It's, they did this like, like cool polygons. optical
1: thing. Yeah, it looks yeah. like polygons, but apparently a lot of it was like optical effects. Like they weren't using digital. A lot of it, like I think, a little bit of rotoscope stuff too. So I yeah, sure. Let's love ha- every director needs to have their own take on the personal shields. Okay, yeah,
2: totally. Mm-hmm. I, I also love the. Um, I can't remember what they're called but the uh the the transport uh things that come down and and save the the spice mining uh mm. stations uh and the way they like shoot their little grappling hook attachments yeah. out yeah. and then when when they retract them, I could watch the little mechanism of it being <laughs> retracted <laughs> on a loop, dude. It's, yeah. it's yeah. so satisfying. It, it like unfolds and then pulls it back in and then like folds up in the coolest little way. It's, it's, it's those little details that make the world seem mm-hmm. logical, thought through, functional. It's great.
0: Yeah. It would be like in uh, Reddit's uh, uh, R oddly satisfying. Yes. Uh, solid <laughs> warm, basically, Which, by the sense. way, I frequent. Yes, it's an awesome one. I want to tell you about uh, one experience I had watching this movie, which is uh, when it turns out that somebody has betrayed uh, the entire. So we're going to talk spoilers now. When it turns out someone has betrayed the entire uh, House of Atreides, you know, it's mm-hmm. some, someone has invaded the House of Atreides, shut down the comms and the shields, and is like messing everything up. I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, please don't be the Asian guy. Please don't be the Asian guy. Please don't be the I Asian mean, guy. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. It was it was the Asian doctor guy. At least it's the great Chang Chen. <laughs> it was the Asian doctor, you know, like he, great
1: actor, but <laughs> unfortunate.
0: Yeah, yeah, great great actor, but you know, um, I I just wish the Asian dude wasn't the traitor uh, <laughs> because of uh, well, you know
2: he had good reason and he he, had <laughs> tri- he tried to actually to. To uh, offset his yes, he betrayal. offset his
0: traitorousness with the uh, poison gun. That was kind of cool. I mean, I it's a
2: really it. cool. I think yeah. it's a really cool arc for a very minor character. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah.
1: The, the, and the the everybody idea was like, like uh, "Yeah, go ahead, go ahead." David nobody was kind of, like, "Nobody was mad at him." Right? It was more like uh, Duke Duca Trade was like, "Okay, I, I get it. Tough <laughs> shit." He's like, "Okay, okay, but you
0: you can give me something, right? You can give me give, give me a magic tooth, you can give you a poison <laughs> tooth, yeah, yeah, something." Yeah. Indeed, Uh, but yeah, let's talk about the story. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that somebody described this movie to me on Twitter as "White Space Jesus," and I feel like I I agree that in general we've kind of seen this white savior narrative play out in movies before. Um, Yeah, well, it's a
2: book fifty years old. It's true.
0: It's true. This Uh, is the
1: thing that inspired many. Yes, inspired
0: many of them. Inspired many of them, like Star Wars and The Matrix and. Uh, the most culturally relevant movie of all time, Avatar, perhaps, even. Mm. Um, but uh, so I, I agree. It's a, it's an old story. I didn't mind it that much because the rest of the package, the rest of the story, like everything else around it mm-hmm. was so engaging and interesting and creative. Um, but I do feel that you mentioned that like because the story is old, it is kind of it, it has kind of shown its age a little bit. right? Mm-hmm.
1: Almost um, 60 really years old, actually the movie yeah. tries to like wrestle with some of these themes too, right? of colonialism, of like the opening monologue is Zendaya basically asking like, who will our new oppressors be? And then you cut to our hero, baby oppressor, you know? So <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of it is not like the movie is not like saying, this is good. It's more like, look at the power of this house and the people shouting their name. And, I, I've heard things that could, you know, happen in the, in the rest of the story, and it does seem like it is set up to explore, like, hey, maybe maybe this power is bad, and maybe this sort of like colonialism is is, is awful and destroys indigenous societies. Uh, maybe we'll get there if we ever get a part two, yeah, part if we three, get a part and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Siddhant,
0: so, curious, your thoughts on the kind of the overall arc of the main character? Putting aside the performance, like, what do you think of the story itself?
3: So, um, based on a combination of cultural osmosis and people yelling at me online, uh, I sort of have... <laughs> the two vague... greatest sources of information. Of course. Of course. Yep. A vague idea of what is, you know, supposedly <laughs> yeah. going to happen in the next one, which I'm not going to get into because, again, I haven't read the book, so I'd be the worst person to do that. Uh, but apparently it goes in some sort of interesting direction vis-a-vis mm-hmm. the whole white saviorism and eugenics, as you all mentioned. But just based on this movie alone just this text, uh, I can't really say I got much out of it regarding, you know, Paul's relationship to any of this beyond, okay, this is his place in the story based on, you know, other people having shoved him and molded him into that space, which I'm sure, you know, will be explored in an interesting way in and of itself. Uh, But to me, he came across as, you know, a very passive character. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, maybe that's how it is in the book. And maybe, you know, things change as the story goes on. But just based on where this movie starts, where this movie ends, I can't really say I got a sense of what his perspective on all this really is. Like what is his, you know, emotional relationship to these visions? What, you know, what is he hoping to get any you know, what is he hoping to get out of all this uh, other than I don't even. I can't even give an example. Um, right. Right. Yeah. I, well, I don't. He, start, really ha- he
0: starts kind of reluctantly, like he's not super psyched about taking on the mantle. Right. Like I think that's pretty clear at the beginning. His earlier scenes with Oscar Isaac, uh, and as time goes on, I think we are meant to understand. Right. The contrast between the first scene and the last scene is like he is slightly more enthusiastic by the end. Right? <laughs> well,
2: also, is, he's just. I mean, we oh. stop the story right as he meets the yeah. indigenous people of Arrakis, Right. right. So. We haven't even begun. Go ahead.
3: It's so great that the story ends uh, at the end of act one of this. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Well,
0: uh, let me just say, okay. Yeah. So let's, uh, Jeff, did you have any thoughts on, on the story overall? Like, it sounds like it still worked for you because you kind of put it in the context of it's 60 years old. Uh,
2: No, I, I I felt its age uh, (laughs) as far as the, 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 the the scaffolding of the story felt uh, outdated Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this—I—I I don't. I suppose one could just sort of fundamentally reimagine a, a work this this old, but I—I I feel like that's not really the job, right? The job is to take this this book mm-hmm. and put it on the screen, and I think that um, there's enough going on as far as a, a broader cast of characters that I found interesting and and fulfilling than than just Paul Atreides, right? And, mm-hmm. and you know, Paul Atreides is going to change uh, if we get to see more of this. Uh, he does change. Um, I- even his name changes. Um, but, uh, but it's, you know, it, it, I certainly sympathize with that sentiment from just this movie because it is, it does feel like, well, okay, kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> been uh, there, or done
1: that we we yeah. seen all the descendants of your story right uh i I almost wonder if like I don't know if the story really needs to change that much because it is so malleable in a sense like the the template of doom could really apply to modern day settings, you know over and over again, right like like you were saying sedan like it is often much like the uh the lynch one, like basically how the West keeps viewing the east, and now it's sort of like okay, we're looking at the Middle East as sort of like um, still an oil producing area. We are still, uh, the story of the world is still empires fighting over this fuel as, uh, you know, we hurdle towards a climate apocalypse. Uh, we, it, it seems like we are in our own um, early dune at this point too. And also the even the idea of fighting against AI, looking at Facebook, on its own right now. It's like, okay, yeah, let's just go back to swords and sand and, you know, uh really low-tech stuff cuz Facebook has ruined uh AI for us completely.
2: Mm. Well, also, you know, it, 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 it fundamentally the the macro story that is being told here is that one out uh, and an unseen emperor, emperor awards one outside party over another outside party. Mm-hmm. This planet and and mm-hmm. without regard at all to the people who actually lived yeah. on the planet yeah
1: and for I, I, sheer pettiness
2: too yeah for sure exactly <laughs> to sort of yeah. stir the pot in a very petty way <laughs> right uh, and i think that is a very relevant concept as you as you outlined davindra and it and it is hopefully something that will be accentuated and uh and fulfilled in in future film or films
0: Let's talk about the ending. It sounds like everyone here was disappointed by the ending yeah. I, I mean Sadal, yeah. I'm curious like how you felt about where this ended you know like did you feel it was extremely abrupt and unsatisfying
3: yes <laughs> short version yes uh, yeah. long version I'm more than um Paul's character I'm actually much more interested to see uh what happens with his mother mm-hmm. uh, with um her pregnancy especially um like i I don't I don't really recall much from the Lynch version, and I, again, don't know where the book goes, but um, having watched all of Denis Villeneuve's films, um, and in fact, just uh, earlier today, the, the day of Dune's release, which is when we're recording this, um, a video that I wrote uh, just came out on Cinefix about all of Villeneuve's films, and a very interesting through line that you get through almost all nine of them is pregnancy anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that, to me, as someone who's seen all of his work, that I want to see how that part of the story plays out. Like, Can specific... you give an example,
0: by the way, from one of his other movies? I just uh, having trouble thinking of one immediately. Sure. Even Blade Runner. Blade sure. Runner was all about that. Oh, yeah, yeah Blade Runner, yeah. I guess.
3: Blade sure. Runner uh, Arrival is all about the question mm. of you know, oh, yes. the, the fear of losing a child even before you've had the child. Yeah, uh, But going all the way back to his first film, August 32nd on Earth, It's uh, about a woman whose trauma leads her to wrestle with the decision of whether or not to have a child. Um, His second film, Maelstrom, is about something similar where a woman has terminated a pregnancy and she's sort of wrestling with uh, the sort of perceived moral fallout of that uh, in a very indirect way that sort of hints at like universal chaos and stuff. Uh, Polytechnic, which was about the Polytechnic massacre, even that ends up being about how uh, whether or not this woman is going to let her trauma define how she moves through the world and mm-hmm. she, you know, teaches her, you know, what, what she teaches her future children when she finds out she's pregnant. Um, in San that would be getting into like spoiler territory. But again, there's pregnancy is a huge part of that. Yeah. Um, it's
0: okay. I, and- we don't need to go through all the movies. I, I believe you. I, believe you. <laughs> <laughs> I trust you. I trust Basically you. every single one. Yeah. So yeah, presumably yeah. it will be a, th- like if a part two gets made, it's likely a theme. It will become part of the movie, right? That theme.
3: I hope so. Regardless of what the book does, I hope Villeneuve has something interesting to say with that. Cause uh, total guesswork here, but something about it tells me that maybe there's something here that something within this part of the story that drew him to the project. I don't know. We'll, we'll see hmm. what happens. Interesting.
0: I- I'm just going to say, I agree with, I don't remember if it was Davindra or Jeff that basically said, like, this person he fights is like a side character, basically, right? Yeah, he's a sub boss. He's a sub boss. This like, dude. Uh, so yeah. I would agree. And it felt like kind of incidental that <laughs> the fight happens, right? He's uh, my favorite part of the mo- One of my favorite parts of the movie is like Javier Bardem being like, please don't do this. Like, <laughs> we have so much stuff to do today, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, that's a
2: big the climactic scene is yeah. when one character's like, we don't. We don't got time for this. Come on, Pat. we, don't we, we got to
1: start walking, man. Yeah. We got all this desert to clear. Yeah,
2: and then there's a part where Javier is like, he's just toying with him. It's just this is he's so he's so like uninterested in the outcome. Even it's, it's.
0: <laughs> it felt like how a parent would talk to a kid, like, please don't have a tantrum right now. Like yeah. we gotta we gotta go to me. the store, and you know.
2: everybody's um, watching us. Look, look. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, but I'm just gonna say that. I like throughout this movie. I was enjoying it so much that I basically started making peace with the idea that we'd never get a second part during the uh-huh, movie. You uh-huh. know, like this is so good, I, and it's like, what if we never get a second part? But it's like it's okay because we still got this. You still you know? got this. Now you know we what it's like to be a firefly th- fan, Dave. Basically, yeah, yeah. indeed, indeed. But yeah, I I don't I agree didn't with mind that. it too much because I felt like <laughs> I would not describe the ending as satisfying. Mm-hmm. I would not say, "Oh man, they really wrapped up that story nicely," but. I will say it was less abrupt than I thought it would be. Uh, you know what an abrupt ending is? The ending of The Matrix Reloaded. When yeah, but you knew like, you
2: were getting another movie.
0: Six months later, you yeah. were getting another movie. Guaranteed. Uh, you saw trailers for it.
1: They
2: shot both of them already. <laughs> I don't know
0: that. that that changes anything I'm saying, though. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like like just literally the way that movie, you see the guy's Bane's face mm-hmm. and then smash cut to Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> uh and it's like what the you you barely have time to even comprehend yeah what is going on but before if, the at least a
1: thing that happened like a very important thing Whereas here it just feels like okay, Paul, Paul joins the Fremen, right?
0: Exactly. He joins the freedom fighter, and then like, that, who, knows? like who knows? Like who Maybe he's going to take over the thing, or he's probably you know he's probably going to be like the the white guy that becomes like the best one of them, or something. You know, like mm-hmm. or something. You know, something. Or but something. it's like I can imagine what's going to yeah. happen. And I then, just let, let me <laughs> just think. I, I hate to. the uh,
1: <laughs> I hate the game the studio is playing with us right now because it, it does kind of feel like. In the back rooms are all like, yeah, 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 we're, we're going to make another one. Don't worry about <laughs> it, guys. But everyone's acting like, I don't know. Are we going to see Doom Part 2? Wink. And then Rebecca Ferguson's like, I, I don't know. I got nothing going on next week or next year. Wink. It just feels it feels all very purposeful and planned in a way, too. Um, I, I hope you don't like to being it. toyed with. Is my I don't sense. like being toyed with. To just be straight with me, <laughs> I, yeah.
2: I fundamentally disagree though with with your assessment, Dave. That like the the whole uh, I at least we got this uh-huh, because yep. if we never get another one, I think this was a waste of time. I really? mean, gorgeous. Gorgeous. you enjoyed it? It's, a- it's gorgeous. It's amazing. It's incredible. But it's 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 not not a complete thought. <laughs> sure.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's true. It's true. It's uh, but I guess like you know what's you know what's funny? They kind of forced Jeff to watch a two and a half hour long trailer for the rest of the movie. <laughs> That's So
2: true.
0: That's Jeff, what it is. That's what You know, Jeff hates yeah. watching trailers, so yes. uh, I don't watch them. So the I, fact that he watched this trailer uh, is notable. The it's thing notable. I should
2: also bring up is that I know I'm a, we're gonna get a torrent of emails. Hopefully, I can head these off right now with this <laughs> this <laughs> with this anticipation of them. Uh-huh, we're gonna get a uh-huh. torrent of emails of people who are like. But every Marvel movie is just a setup for the next one, and uh-huh. I they, yep. they, they so are, yeah so true so true. Well, no, yeah. not so, like this. They, it's not
1: they're like Babe Ruth out there planning their sequels ten years, you know, into yes, the future That's exactly. It. And
2: it's they're not incomplete movie. It's not like y- if you don't ever watch the next Marvel movie, you didn't get a complete experience with the current one. Uh, I think just f- sort of fundamentally from a plot perspective, mm-hmm. and and I and you do. I mean, it literally is like. Well, and then he walked further <laughs> that way. You know, that's the end of this movie is like they kept yeah. walking he, he that he way. Kept walking think, into the desert, yeah. I think
0: they're more similar than you are letting on right now. I yeah. think that, no, that yeah. uh, lo- a lot of the Marvel TV shows have felt like trailers for movies. Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, this movie, despite the fact that it ends with him walking that way, he does have an arc. It's not a particularly satisfying arc. It's not like, it doesn't feel super complete. But mm-hmm. he does go again, as I indicated from the beginning of the movie, from being very reluctant about yeah. assuming charge to I'm going to assume my father's yeah. mantle and do what my father tried to do, which is not he, something he felt the entire movie. Right? He went from going "eh" to huh. <laughs> that is 100 percent accurate. That's it. I, That's it. I completely agree <laughs> with the Devinder's assessment of the arc so anyway, I think they're a little bit more similar than you're letting on, Jeff, but I, I would agree with you that, at least on the movie level, right, that there's largely a beginning and end, a middle and end to, to most mm-hmm. of the Marvel films, so. Um, but I do think mm-hmm. there's a kind of a beginning, middle and end to this one as well. Yeah, so that's kind of sure, boring, I sure.
2: love this, I mean, I, I, I think this movie, like I said, is a visual masterpiece. I think it is an extraordinary presentation of sci-fi ideas and themes. It just bums me out that they haven't already made the end yeah. of the story. Like they have to. They,
1: it, it's they're they're going to confirm this like later today, guys. Don't no, just, so. just, just we're going to sound like, yeah, gonna so be. dumb. So dumb. When so dumb. We uh, so everyone listens time to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Before <laughs> when we run, run out of time.
0: Body, by the time you are listening to this, which is probably uh-huh. Tuesday next week or later, if you're not one of our amazing <laughs> patrons. Uh, they will already have announced the second and third film of the Dune franchise. And Absolutely. we will sound Absolutely. incredibly dumb. Everything we're saying right now is a complete waste of time right now. Really, pretty much. That's, well, I you mean, know what? Let, let's usual. not waste as time. Usual, yes. I do want to say, I want to pose a question to you, Sidon,
1: to like, yeah. I've read your review and I do wonder like, how do you feel about this story as basically being something that it has always been very Middle Eastern influenced? Um, the lack of actors, the lack of meta actors not here it seems like it kind of robs the story of a certain amount of like grounding. Just how do you feel about Dune and how it's taking from Middle Eastern culture?
3: So I'm I'm torn about this because on one hand, yeah, casting Middle Eastern and North African actors as um, the Fremen, maybe that would have you know gone towards some kind of course correction, so to speak. But how much would that have really improved things right. if it was this exact story, this exact right. framing? Mm-hmm. And uh, from what I've been led to believe, um, the books go into a little more detail about this, you know, this made up culture that was heavily drawn from a lot of, um, from, from a variety of Middle Eastern influences. Um, so may, I don't know, maybe something that was a little more detailed, critical. Uh, I don't really know because this version of the story, like, sure, you could cast it. To be more inclusive, to be more diverse, and so on and so on. Uh, I think it would only go so far towards improving what it is in terms of its, you know, I guess its Orientalist gaze, because, <laughs> um, and again, this is not this is nothing new, both in terms of Dune itself and in terms of Western sci-fi. You know, this is like saying, what if you cast a Middle Eastern actor to play a Tuscan Raider? For sure, you know how, how much would that really improve things if he's still playing someone called, you know, a, a member of the Sand People. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I was kind of wondering, but what if what if they were cast as Paul? And how does that change things? Maybe, but you know, there there are a lot of ways we could go. But with then it. fundamentally, would that yeah. be like a different
0: yeah. story than you know? Yeah. W- would that be a fundamentally different story than what the original story was? Right. Mm-hmm. If it would, I I don't know. Like, the thing I mean, doesn't mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah.
3: Like. The story of Dune is so close to real world colonialism, mm-hmm. real world imperialism, that there's no way around having it be about that, you know, and you know, for, for good or for ill. So you could cast the Fremen as all white people and you could cast House Atreides as all Middle Eastern people to be like, oh, look, we're being subversive, mm-hmm. like we're doing a reverse Othello. Like it, it, It wouldn't change what the story is, the good mm-hmm. parts or the bad parts. Uh, I think that you know this is like the question of uh, this is something I wrote in my review as well. Like, you can you can do what the recent Disney Aladdin movie did, and you know cast you know mostly Middle Eastern actors in Middle Eastern roles as opposed to the white voice actors for the animated film, mm-hmm. but it, it still doesn't change fundamentally the sort of mishmash Orientalist nature of the story. So yeah. I, I'm torn about it. I don't really know that it like it it matters in terms of who gets an opportunity uh does it matter in terms of how this story is told i i don't think that's something i can really put my finger on without the story itself changing in a significant way you know yeah yeah,
0: yeah. like it matters from a business perspective you know if uh uh, if a Middle Eastern person is like a headliner in this movie, but like, because the story is so inextricably tied in with the theme of col- colonialism, it's just like, uh, does it really, it, it, you know, one of the things that sit uh, ha- has talked to me about in the past, I think it was on culturally relevant podcast mm-hmm. was like, uh, r- like race blind casting as, as another example of like, uh, trying to increase representation yep. also has like extreme limits, uh, example like yesterday, the Danny, yeah, yeah, David Copperfield, uh, example, uh, yesterday, the Danny Boyle film, um, which mm-hmm. uh, while it was awesome that, you know, the, uh, South Asian man was cast in the lead. Like there were also some problems with, uh, that as well. from a, It felt like they didn't change the story at all to, to account for that. And that ended up leading to some awkward, uh, awkward sequences in that movie. It did. So,
1: although I will say that the representation of, uh, Indian parents in the, in that movie, I think was at least vaguely realistic, but yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true.
0: But yeah, um, anyway, so, uh, it sounds like you guys, not a fan of the ending of this one, and, <laughs> Wait, and what it's ending? abruptness. what ending? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There is no ending. I'm like, I'm, I, I don't know, I don't know why, I'm usually... The least understanding person on this this podcast, <laughs> I was far more like. Uh, yeah, sort of normally you weigh
1: entire movies based on their endings,
0: Dave. So <laughs> yeah, this is kind of funny, actually. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Kanata is like enjoying Halloween Kills more than any of us. I'm liking yeah. the ending of Dune. You know, that's dogs, dogs, dogs and together, cats basically. living
3: together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's crazy. It's crazy time. Uh, okay, so anything else? we want to talk about with regards to this movie, any other sequences we didn't mention or, um... I mean,
1: the, the fear is the mind killer sequence we didn't talk about, but I think that's one, the, the whole hand test thing. That's one scene where I think Timothy uh, really his sort of like internal acting the way he like just really does a great job of bottling things up sometimes. uh, I I think worked very well for that scene. Certainly compared to Kyle McLaughlin in the, in the David Lynch (laughs) one where they actually show you, a view of a burning hand so you know exactly what he's seeing. This one's a lot more subtle. And I appreciate that about the entire movie, right? He he's feeling pain. that's all you're seeing. They have all the money in the world to create special effects for this, but it's just a guy putting his hand in the box, you know, and he has to act like he's in pain and also in peril. I thought that whole sequence was great.
3: Uh I will actually correct something I said earlier that um that his performance didn't really stick with me. His performance in that particular scene, Chalamet's performance, sells the entire scene. So he's fantastic in that
0: I agree. I agree. That's very good. Um, I really thought the scene with uh, the two of them in the ornithopter while they were about to get, like, dumped into the desert was really tense and very well really done. Really yeah. He's yeah. like, he needs to use the voice, and he can't use the voice, and then she uses the voice. and So awesome. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then she Just corrects so, him she, at yeah. the end.
2: like. Ah, oh, so cool. She's like, just <laughs> like a
0: really cool, well done sequence, and yeah, and th- th- that's the thing about this movie in general is like, there's so many things like, what is the voice? I don't think they ever sit down and explain what the voice is, right? They don't so, explain anything. They don't, it. Explain it. They, the voices, they don't explain They don't explain what the is. They don't explain what the shields are. What's going they don't explain, on? yeah, yeah. And, and, and her, you just even her to...
2: hand signals, like we get no explanation, but we just mm-hmm. understand that there's a way to communicate with your hand exactly. like that. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. That's cool.
0: That's cool. Like I love cool. it when it feels. Organic yes. and like the movie gives you enough to get it. Right? Yeah, oh yeah. And the best. I don't like it when it doesn't feel organic and or the movie does not give you enough to get it. And I'm just like, what the heck is actually happening? You yeah. know, like or but spells this,
1: everything out. You know, like right. But you this movie, I felt
0: like struck a really good balance of we're going to refer to these things, we're going to give you enough of a sense to give like just so you have yeah. a, a whiff of it, and then you're just going to need to deal with like figuring out the rest. And it I, it I trust actually the audience. appreciate it. The
2: it's, the, it's, yeah. it's show, not tell, you know, it's yeah. the perfect mm-hmm. example of mm-hmm. show, exactly. not tell. And exactly. then
0: they were like, we're,
1: we're not going to show you an ending, I guess, like,
3: <laughs> <laughs> nor will we tell you, um, nor will wow. we tell you if it's coming. David, <laughs> yeah. just going off what you were saying, uh, one yeah. small thing I really liked was the first time they present the voice, uh, even though they never explain what it is, that's completely fine. But the first time you, you see it employed, um, the audio and the the image fall very very distinctly out of sync. So good, uh, as mm. if, yeah. As yeah, if to it. say, in in the most cinematic way possible, this is something that you know exists outside of him or exists outside of time or something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean the, yeah. the the movie opens kind of with that part of that voice too, like the way it is it is a quote in alien language about the power of dreams, but mm-hmm. that hits you before the WB logo, before anything else. It is a great way to just like say, sit down. We're watching Dune now. Okay, you're not on Earth anymore. You're in Dune. Pay attention.
0: <laughs> one of one of the most vivid moments of show not tell for me was what what is the uh, what is the Emperor Army? What is it called? Um, Harkonnen? This, No, the other one. Um, the like special army. The send of something. Would you say
3: the Sardaukar?
0: Yeah, Sardaukar. That's right. So the Sardaukar, they go to the Sardaukar planet and. <laughs> there's a bunch of Sardaukar soldiers like training, and then like in the front of the training area, it looks like there's people like it, I could not tell. I, so I yeah, could be completely yeah, yeah, wrong, but it looked yeah. like there are people being crucified. As far as I could, like Something people being like in that. like the stocks basically, and you see it for like literally less than five seconds, and I was just like, "What is going on there?" And they never return to it again. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, huh.
1: "It's it's so cool." And they they like, have the, the the like cool thing
0: where they just like fall slowly. As they're attacking, oh, yeah. like oh, exactly. Man. They don't explain like they, have, they don't have jetpacks or anything. It's just like
1: why, no, why are these people guys... using swords? We have interstellar travel right now. Yeah. guns do <laughs> exist in this world, yet everybody is still fighting with swords. The there, swords there's a lot cool. of stuff.
2: Yeah. Also, yeah. I don't cool. think we could end this review if we don't talk about the sandworms. Yeah. Very good sandworms. We have got to talk about the sandworms, right? Very good. I actually, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm torn <laughs> on the sandworms. Right? It's a, it's, it's. You know, it's it's the jaws approach, right? Where uh-huh, you, it's uh-huh. mostly not seeing them. You know, mm-hmm. which is which is cool. And all of the all of the sand special effects, all of the particle effects that are on display in this film are are like next level. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous how voluminous the. I think I think, uh, think Sedan made comment too. Like it it feels like the world envelops you. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is because it's like particulates all the time are in the air everywhere. <laughs> uh, and uh um I, so I I dug that and we and we often only see the sandworms as as this you know these thrusts of 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 sand in the air. But um I don't know. I I it's a it's a it's a pretty bold move to have an entire two and a half hour movie uh where like you have a person <laughs> Go up to the you know, call the sandworm, but punch the ground to call the sandworm, take out two grappling hooks, clearly is gonna do something awesome. Something cool, <laughs> something cool is gonna clearly happen. Clearly, something fucking amazing is about to happen. And then uh-huh. she she just gets stabbed, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, biggest blue balls ever movie. What is this well, about? I, I, like, I, we get a is, glimpse. Is it glimpse. her? It's
0: her writing it at the end, right? That's yes. my that was my interpretation. I don't know if her writing it? I, I don't know if I, it was I her. think it's implied to be her. Is oh, my I think I, she's she gets,
3: dead. I she's thought she's dead. dead too.
0: Okay, well, that's you're probably right. Pe- you're pro- people <laughs> can ride sandworms. That's the well, only conclusion we yeah, get. Yes. Because yeah, cuz basically we saw her first of all, I, I like the different stages of sandworm experience. Okay, uh-huh. right? there is it's coming from <laughs> far away. It's like a vague thing in the distance and you see it. And then it's upon you and then like your your physical appendages sink into the ground, mm-hmm, right? Like mm-hmm. when it comes near you and then this particulate's flying everywhere and then like the it just you know swallows you whole. the ground just like comes yeah. up anyway so she you know had the cool badass line and then the thing swallowed her with other dudes and i thought maybe she got out of that thing and she's writing that thing at the end but uh, <laughs> i'm probably wrong. optimistic I about mean, that it seemed like she was shot <laughs> but i don't know she, well, she I, was she was shot she was i think stabbed through her her mm. uh, abdomen yeah. and then you know
2: she's like she decided I'm, to uh, go down with the ship. She, she she's gotta, like, if I'm going to die, we're like, all dying.
0: Maybe, maybe she made it out of that thing. You know, that was kind of my thing. Maybe she I, made it I, out of that. I yeah. took
2: that last shot as like, <laughs> this is what you can look forward to in movie two. <laughs> right. Look what <laughs> yeah, these no, people can yeah, do. exactly. Yeah. That's true. That's probably Are people that's writing probably
1: sandworms over there? Man, that seems, <laughs> that seems like fun. Oh, credits. Sorry. We can't have fun. <laughs>
0: wow davindra is davindra is as bitter about the ending of bitter. this movie as he was about them not cutting off michael myers head in <laughs> <Colleen's test>.
2: that's, <laughs> that's just so logic, very bitter
1: that's just, I, I got a lot of support on twitter about this
0: <laughs> all right folks anything else or shall we wrap it up i i think we all really appreciated the movie in one way or another um and it's i appreciated it even if they don't make a second one jeffrey yeah so, all right yeah uh, anyway, let's, let's wrap it up. At the end of the day, I do think it's very impressive that Denis Villeneuve made a movie. So you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Our weekly plugged music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Sedan Tadlaka, it's been a pleasure. Tell people where they can find more of your work, anything you want to direct people to.
3: Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Siddhant Adlaka. Uh, you can find my writing at a whole different bunch of places, which I will be tweeting about off and on. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. It's been
0: a pleasure, man. Really appreciate you stopping by. Next week, we're going to be reviewing Last Night in Soho, the new Edgar Wright movie. Very excited about that think we have a really awesome guest for that one as well Ooh. so uh i am looking forward to it thank you so much for listening if you're a patron who patronizes this podcast at patreon.com slash film podcast thank you for your support and you. i hope you enjoyed this early review of dune and if you're not uh you're listening to it for free so congratulations <laughs> you got it for free after the fact anyway consider, consider joining yeah consider joining consider joining uh anyway patreon.com thank you so much we'll see you next week
2: Watch the move.